Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Oh my God, are you okay? I don't know. Were you in an accident? No. It's John. I, I think I think I heard him. Lorena, what did you do? All right, guys, it's a new episode. Today we're covering I Was Lorena Bobbitt. And my guest is a fellow Nacho expert. She reached out on Twitter, said it would be her Christmas wish to come on the pod. And I said six minutes later... Come on the pod, baby. Let's make this Christmas wish happen. Her name is Lorraine. She is a comedian. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so hyped. I got my nacho expert teeth <laughs> ready <laughs> to get down on this movie. I'm so excited. Okay, so you I sent you a bunch of options and you picked this movie because like, let's be real, like it seems iconic. And immediately I was like, I have to do a lot of research on this because I sometimes get feedback that I don't know enough about the true crime cases. And also, I will have to say I've gotten some uh, hits for how sometimes I wildly speculate. But if you are a regular listener to the show, you know that this is a Lifetime movie podcast. So we typically really are just concerned about the movie. And I um, have theorized on so many inappropriate things. And that's also in the spirit of the podcast. So that said, I've heard your criticism um, and I'm willing to adjust to some of it because I'm a fair and patient queen. And <laughs> I decided to take on the four part Amazon series, Lorena. It was produced by Jordan Peele. I watched it all in one night. I think it was um, New Year's Eve. I spent watching it. So um, I feel like I know a lot about this case. And I have to say, you know, I don't know what your knowledge of her growing up was, but I think that I might have been like too young for a lot of the details of this case to be explained to me. And I really only knew like the shock jock AM radio version of the story, which is like this poor guy got his penis cut off by his crazy wife. Right. Um, you told me offline that you have <laughs> some ties to Lorena <laughs> Bobbitt. Yeah, exactly. So like you said, you know, I was so young when it happened. I didn't really know anything about it, but I've always been known that I'm a little nutty. So the <laughs> fact that my name, Lorray, sounds like a lot like Lorena. When I was in elementary school, kids used to call me Lorena Bobbitt. And <laughs> I had no clue why. So I'm like seven and I'm like, mom, who's Lorena Bobbitt? And my mom is just like a very, she's like too, she was too honest with me. She was like, oh yeah, um, she was a lady that cut her husband's penis off. Uh, what would you like for lunch tonight, honey? <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. And I mean, you know, I think that is sort of the common explanation of what happened in the case. I didn't realize how bad and long their history of abuse was. And the documentary was incredibly illuminating just in terms of how 
the press was able to talk about this case. And, um, you know, I mean, at the time, you couldn't even put penis in a headline. So they started to come up with all these different sort of overly precious ways to explain that he was missing his, you know, his manhood or whatever it is that they people wanted to call it. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was so intense that they uh, they couldn't even um, like they couldn't say over the police radio the crime that had taken place that night because they didn't want the press to find out. So you're listening to radio of all these cops trying to describe what it is that happened while also doing it in a very subtle way. And one part of the documentary that I just fucking loved um, is that they had to go out and look for this penis. And this is all from Lorena's side. I mean, this is one of those movies, sort of like a hybrid uh, documentary slash movie. And so in the documentary, Lorena, they we're telling about how the police had to go find it in a field of tall grass by a 7-Eleven. And the sergeant who found the penis had to make one of the other cops go pick it up because of the excuse that he was Catholic. He wouldn't pick up the, the lost penis because he was Catholic. Catholics, Catholics get out of a lot of stuff by saying they're Catholic. I've noticed that. He really said no homo, though, like he's out in that. <laughs> he's like, oh, no, I, I can't touch that for God. I mean, I'm Catholic. You know what I mean? Like, how homophobic is that? Like, you're afraid to pick up some. It's not even attached to anything like that's exactly. It, but it, see, it's the fact that he truly was gay because he knew as soon as he touched it, he was going to be so turned on like and he couldn't. <laughs> He couldn't get a boner in front of his buddies. You feel me? Yeah, no, I do feel you, dude. Like, I totally know what you mean. That's exactly it. He was like, if if I, they see the way I handle this, they'll know I've been here before. They'll know it. Like, that, my eyes are going to light up. And I and I, I I saw that they actually had to put the penis in, like, a big bite uh, yeah. container. Yeah, they couldn't. They went to the 7-Eleven and they're like, we need something like they got some ice from the soda machine and they put it into like one of the hot dog (laughs) boxes. I mean, the story is really ripe for comedy. And I think that's yeah, that's what we know about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it does seem funny. It does seem funny. But now we know everything leading up to this was just horrible. I feel. Yeah. And I I mean, I'll go as far as to say I didn't know that Lorena wasn't born in America. I didn't know English was her second language and that she struggled to really explain a lot of the stuff that happened to her at the time. Not just because it's difficult to explain that stuff, but because not only was she like very young and naive and religious, she, you know, just she didn't know the English translation. She didn't know, you know, how that held up in our language. And so she's like at a complete disadvantage. Um, the story is fascinating. Um, as I said a little bit ago, so this is like a hybrid documentary slash movie where I think they did it similarly with Elizabeth Smart. And she might have had a movie called I Was Elizabeth Smart. And it's scenes of, you know, the person who the movie is about intercut with 
a, a proper lifetime movie essentially yeah it was it was like a um yeah it was like a hybrid and and i really like I really, uh, I fell for her. I fell in love with this lady. What a sweet lady. You know I what I mean? Know. I know. I would have, I would have loved to have like been her customer at the nail salon and then like befriended her in real life and been like, Definitely. we should go out for drinks when your shift is over. And hell yeah, she would have told me about, you know, I would have seen the bruises. I would have been able to get in there. I mean, that's the truth with, um, one of the main witnesses in her defense trial was she was a customer that just, you know, saw the bruising, like really kind of took the time to take her aside and say, hey, I see all this is going on. And then, you know, she says in the documentary, I was a busy mom. You know, I didn't watch the news. And then one night I'm watching the news and they're talking about this lady who cut off her husband's penis and they cut to her face. And I realized, oh, my God, it's the girl from the nail salon. So she, you know, she like was a huge witness and I think really saved um, the case in a lot of ways because it was her testimony about Lorena's state when she first saw her at the nail salon basically confirmed to at least a couple of the psychologists that she had been dealing with some sort of long-term PTSD that had developed from this abusive relationship. And John Bobbitt is a a character. And I can't wait to tell you some things I've learned about him from that documentary as we go through this. Um, Yeah. I watched the 2020 on him and it was like updated. Like, I think it was just from like last year And like, he's totally, he does not take this serious at all. Yeah, he's not bright. And he's also someone who, especially when you see how traditionally handsome he was as a young man, like that's just the kind of guy that the world is set up for, you know, especially in that time, Mm -hmm. like the late 80s, 90s. I mean, that was the perfect time for a traditionally handsome white man to just run a muck, a complete muck and just do whatever he wanted to do. Like, it's just really nutty. Like, it's crazy to me, the fact that, uh, but going back to what you were saying about, yeah, like if I was her customer, like, yes, I would have befriended her and we would have whooped his ass. Like, that's just the type of friend that I am. You know what I mean? I would have totally done it for her. That's I texted you that I was like, I (laughs) would have absolutely gotten in there and gotten that done for her. Not on my watch, but I am glad she had Jana, who was her boss turned friend. Um, She was so bossy. I really admire her. Yeah, she really is. Um, So the movie opens up with, um, you know, some preamble a little bit of warning it says the following program contains content that may be disturbing to some viewers viewer discretion is advised and i would like to uh, also suggest that to anyone who's listening to this this is a movie that is about a lot of abuse it's about you know sexual assault it's about all of the bad stuff that you can imagine in a uh, an abusive marriage and yeah so just a content warning for that But then um, the next one says the following is based on Lorena Bobbitt's personal testimony of events, which has been contested by John Bobbitt. And I love a legal disclaimer at the top. I love that. That's good. That's that's professional journalism. Sure, sure. So we see Lorena 
young Lorena, so cute in her car at night. She's driving, she's crying. And then all of a sudden she stops short and it's a little bit of like an effect they did, I think, where it's like almost as if she's like taken over by some spirit or something and snaps out of it long enough to realize that she's holding something. She wants to throw out the window of her car and then in the other hand, there's a bloody knife. And I like that they did the effect like that to sort of show how her mind was probably working at the time, which was like she came to all of a sudden and she's holding an, a knife, a penis, and she has blood on her face. Definitely. And that's that's the same thing that she, like penis is not like they're not cute. There's nothing cute about them. There's only one time when you want to see a penis and you definitely don't want to see one unattached in your hand and just <laughs> right. coming like that's scary. That's frightening. Yeah. If anyone handed me a loose penis, the first thing I would do is throw it. I definitely I would. would. I would throw Hot it across potato. the room. Yeah. So. <laughs> She arrives to her work, which is a nail salon, and it's, you know, shut down for the night and she's banging on the doors trying to get in. She doesn't even realize like, oh, it's a nighttime. Why would the salon be open? And then she's like, oh, shit, I'm holding this knife. And she tosses it out into the trash can right next to the nail shop. So this is not someone who's trying to actively hide a crime. They're not, you know, if anyone's trying to, um, you know, clear their name or get away from or hide evidence. The last thing they would do is throw a bloody knife away next to their workplace. Yeah, definitely not crime savvy, not not smart. So then the next thing we see is that she's at the front door of her boss's house. She's covered in blood and absolutely hysterical. And Jana asks her if she's OK. She says she thinks she hurt John. And Jana's like, Lorena, what did you do? And then the screen goes back and we come up on a montage featuring the real Lorena Bobbitt. Last name is Gallo. She went back to her maiden name after this um, as a talking head. So I'm going to play 109 to 155. You might remember me from the news. Satellite dishes sprouted like weeds outside the county courthouse in Manassas, Virginia. This is a classic tabloid story. It's got sex and blood. Back then, people laugh at me, make cruel jokes. They didn't want to hear about the truth about the abuse I suffered. Everybody argues, but to cut a man's penis off for it, no sense in it. You might know my name, but you don't know my story. I came to live in America when I was 18. To me, this was the best country in the world. I wanted the American dream. Today, I use my maiden name, Lorena Gallo. But back then, I went by a different one. Back then, I was Lorena Bobbitt. So after that, we see the titles and then a caption over a small town bar, the exterior of a small town bar. It says 1988, five years before the incident. And Lorena narrates to understand what really happened. We need to go back to the night when I first met John Wayne Bobbitt. And this young Lorena is in a small dive bar she looks so cute. She has on like her jean jacket and her hair is all pretty. You know, she just looks like a young, innocent girl, like out for the night. And there was just something so sweet about the way she came across on scene. Like, I, I honestly will say that she has sort of that endearing quality to her that reminds me of Selena. 
Word, yeah. She's very cute, like adorable. And I think that psychopaths are are attracted to girls like that. They know it. Oh, 100%. He's like this girl, especially because she doesn't speak English. She's vulnerable. You know, that's very attractive to someone who's looking to basically dominate a person's life. And we hear out of frame this guy go, you must be looking for me, the most handsome guy in the place. And we see John Wayne Bobbitt. Now, they did something with this guy's face. Did you notice it's like heavy makeup or something? Maybe it's like they put makeup on the actor during these parts to make him look younger. But he looked like weathered. He looked like um, Nixon when he was wearing that makeup over his beard in that debate. It was like heavy, (laughs) weird makeup. So he has this like kind of confident Overly confident, I would say, swagger to himself and Lorena, not knowing that, you know, him saying you must be looking for me, the most handsome guy in a bar, not really realizing that that was a pickup line. She's like, no, I'm here with my friend Devon, who's out on the patio. And uh, (laughs) John grabs her hand to dance and she's like, oh, I can't dance. And he's like, don't worry. He's like, no one will be worried about your dancing. You're the prettiest girl on the dance floor. They'll be staring at you for other reasons. So. She tells him that she was born in Ecuador and she moved to Venezuela when she was seven. And John's like, oh, I was born in upstate New York, but I just got back from a tour in Okinawa. He's a Marine. And she right away is so interested in the idea of travel. She thinks it's like, you know, really cool that he's been around the world. And he asks her why she's there. And she says that she's in school and she's a nanny for a woman named Jana. And John, for some reason, you know, thinks this is kind of funny. I'm not really sure why, but he like oddly laughs, maybe because that's like them hinting. Oh, he knew what he was doing when he saw her. He sees this girl who's in a country without her family, although she is living with like a host family of sorts who are really family friends. Um You know, she's a nanny. She's in school. That sounds like a very vulnerable, tender time in a person's life. Definitely. He saw opportunity. He could see, like you, like you said, she doesn't really speak English. Her family's not here. Like, this is perfect. This is the perfect victim. Exactly. And he says to her, why are you single? And so she shrugs and he goes, well, I'm going to change that. So then we go to a suburban home where um, the Castros live. And this is the family that Lorena lived with when she moved here. They were friends of the family. And it's a very traditional situation. Mrs. Castro obviously is viewing Lorena as a daughter in her home and is sort of raising her by the highest standards. Um, And when she gets a phone call from Corporal John Bobbitt, he wants to speak to Lorena. And Mrs. Castro is like, yeah, Lorena said you might call, but if you want to see her, you're going to have to come meet me. Like, you know, Lorena is living in my house. She can't date without my permission. So, When the phone call ends, her daughter, Mercedes, I believe she had two daughters in real life, but Mercedes plays both of them. Um, Mercedes is like, oh, you know, you're you're talking to a guy, Lorena, and she sits with her and she's like, yeah, he's just a really nice guy that I met. We danced and one thing led to another. And they warn her that she's going a little bit too fast. But as long as he doesn't have, you know, three eyes and a hump in his back, Lorena can see him. 
but it has yes. to be supervised. We're, we're talking chaperone dates here. Mrs. Castro is uh, going to keep her eye on Lorena per her mom's orders. And that's how she would want things right. to be done. She's not running no whorehouse. And that's it. She wants to let it be known. You're not about to just be out here. Just gallivanting. That's not what's going down. Did you ever go on a, a chaperone date? Um, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. By the time I started looking to a point where men were noticing me, I was well past chaperone age well i guess i guess i guess lorena was too how old is she supposed to be at this point like 20 or i think she's supposed to be maybe even like 18 19 okay 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 yeah it's just like a cultural thing no i never went on a chaperone date my parents were pretty cool yeah i i think the same thing i think that we all went out in like groups of friends and that was supposed to be somewhat accountable but then by the time that i was like you know 16 and like gonna date a guy there was no chaperoning for sure so Lorena's at her nanny and gig when her boss Jana comes home and Jana's like you know she's just fabulous she's got this like iconic blonde hair that hair oh my god I live for that hair I mean that like 90s rock hair kind of like you could totally see her like in like a white snake video or whatever absolutely and like you know, to be honest, it's kind of objectively bad hair, but it, she pulls it off like it's very much Jana's look. And, you know, Jana's laughing when she comes in because she sees Lorena's folding the laundry. You know, she says to her, I hired you to be a nanny, not a maid. But you can just tell Lorena's that type of person that's going to go the extra mile. She seems very grateful for everything she has. Yeah, she definitely has that energy of like a pretty girl that doesn't know she's pretty. Like, oh, bro, you do not have to yeah. do the laundry. You feel me? Like, you don't have to do all that. <laughs> so Jana pours herself a drink, which I loved. She walks right in, goes for the brown liquor on the drink cart in the living room, <laughs> and she offers a glass to Lorena. And, and Lorena's like, no, thank you. And she wants to know the house, the kids, the car, the three nail salons. How does she do it all by herself? And Jana says it's a lot of hard work. Her new store is opening up next week. And Lorena says, well, maybe I could work for you at your nail shop. I could still watch your son after school. But during the hours he's in school, I could do nails or something, anything you need for me. And Jana's like, you know what? I'm going to train you. I'm going to give you a shot. That's definitely like that enthusiastic immigrant energy because I've never held two jobs at once. I've never had any inkling or or desire to do that but shout out to Lorena she's a hard worker I was gonna say don't you need like a, a license to do nails yeah you totally do but hey it was the 80s baby it was the 80s baby um one of the things in the the woman who was her key witness in her defense lawsuit the one that um saw her bruising and everything. She said that she knew something was wrong with Lorena because she did a really bad job on her nails and also waxed her eyebrows kind of uneven. And, you know, I'm glad she saw it for what it was because definitely there would be a part of me that's like, oh, no, she's not upset. This girl doesn't have a license. She didn't go to beauty school. Right, right. She just learned on the fly. Like, no, I'm going to tell you what top five things to piss me off is to mess up my eyebrows. Like I have, I have very strict 
uh, uh, rules for my eyebrow people. I quiz them. Like, it's like, who wants to be a millionaire? By the time I'm done with my questioning, they're no longer, they're scared to do my eyebrows. <laughs> you do have good eyebrows. I can see from the zoom picture you have right now. Appreciate that. Thank you. Well, you obviously work hard for them. So I, it's a due yeah. compliment. <laughs> so John and Lorena are in front of Mr. Ca- Mrs. Castro's house after a date. And she's saying, you know, I had a lot of fun and he leans in for a kiss. But before they can do more than just like a little cursory smooch, Mrs. Castro comes out and she's like, nope, no kissing. I've told you before. So John jumps up on the stoop with her and he goes, Mrs. C, we've been seeing each other for a month now. And he gives her a kiss on the cheek and says, but you didn't say I couldn't kiss you. And Mrs. Castro laughs and John runs to his bike in the driveway and she says, oh, he's such a bad boy. But of course, it's like a you know, he's a flirty bad boy. This is the kind of stuff that like no one people used to think this bad behavior was charming. Yeah. And now we know because we have true crime, you know, we have forensic files. We have all these things that lets us know these manipulative behaviors, man. He's a manipulator. Ms. Castro, you know, the thing is, though, I mean, I can relate a little bit to this because my beloved Chihuahua wagon stuff, who's no longer with us. You know, one of the funniest parts about him was that he was just so fucking cute that I could never get mad at him. I had the hardest time disciplining him. But what it did was it turned him into a biter. And when he was a little when he was a little chihuahua, it was cute because he had soft little baby teeth. But as he was an old man, his teeth did start to hurt a little bit. And I do think there's a metaphor in there. And it's like you can't reward bad behavior because it's cute at the time. You absolutely can't. And um, R.I.P. wagon stuff, for sure. He's yeah, missed. he was a. He's the real one. So I will tell you. So Lorena, she's like, you know, Mrs. Kessler is like, why is he on a bike? And she's like, he rode it 25 miles from Quantico. And John's like, yeah, and I would ride it twice that much to see my princess. I'll be back. I'll be back next week. So, right. He seems like a good guy at this point. A little quirky, you know, definitely overly confident, as I said. But for the most part, he seems like someone who checks out. Right. Like he's not the worst. But so, that's not a red flag, though. Like, why doesn't he have a car? Like, that's that's crazy to, to ride that far. They're not in high school. Because I used to have a boyfriend in high school that used to ride his bike over to my house. That was like five miles. And I thought that that was crazy. But we were in high school. Of course he didn't have a car. This is a grown man with a career with no car. That's a red flag. I agree. I agree. That is a huge red flag for sure. And I, it made me wonder where they went on their date. Like, where do you guys go? Like, and does she get on the handlebars? Like, what? Exactly. Like, I don't think you're ready for marriage if you're throwing your girl up on the handlebars. That's right. So Lorena is at one of her supervised dates with John, and she's talking to Mercedes. Um, And this is where we find out Mercedes is kind of on to John already. Let's play 718 to 930. So, you and John are getting kind of serious, huh? I guess so. It's been eight months. I don't get what you see in him. You don't like John? He kind of drinks a lot. And he always happens to forget his wallet whenever we go out. 
John's a good guy. Why can't you be happy for me? Hey, Warden. Can I have a minute with my girl? I asked you not to call me that. I'm gonna go get some fries. All right, grab me a beer. If she keeps eating like that, she'll never find a boyfriend. That's not nice, John. Oh, what do I care? Besides, she's not nearly as hot as you. And your sexy little body. I, uh, found something by the pool table. You want to see what it is? Mm-hmm. Now, I know it's not much. And I know I just found it. But... Here you are. Until I get a real diamond. Are you asking me to marry you? It's more of a promise. I don't want to lose you. But I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, but he's got this great job working in a salon, and I don't want some other guy to come by and scoop you up. I wouldn't do that. I'm happy with you. And I want to keep it that way. I want you, Lorena, all to myself. I love you. I love you too. Okay. <clears throat> so that was the proposal. There's so much to unpack in this scene. So much to unpack. That's all I was just thinking. Okay, so let's start by talking about sort of the lifetimeification of this proposal because they're in a bar, John's playing pool by himself, and Mercedes and Lorena are off to the side at like a little two-top table. And in real life, what had happened when the proposal went down is that John invited the two of them to go to the pool, like the swimming pool that was on the base that he was living on. So they were having like a pool day and John found a ring that someone who was swimming in the pool had obviously lost. And he proposed to her with the ring from the bottom of the pool. Um, which was like a little gold bow, just like they did in this movie. So that was on point. But I liked that they went from like, okay, we can't do a swimming pool because that's budget, but we can do a pool, like a pool table. So I kind of liked that they did that. And it put us in a bar atmosphere. Now, that conversation with Mercedes was heartbreaking to watch because I think we've all had a girlfriend or a friend warn us about someone we're dating and saying like, I don't know. I feel like he's kind of like, I don't like this about him. I don't like that. He like, you know, always forgets his wallet or he drinks too much the way she does. And, and Lorena's like, you know, no, I, I think he's fine. I, I think you're like being unfair. And when things go wrong, you look back at that conversation and how that could have changed the whole situation you were in. If you had just heard your friend's side of it. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, there's something that I, that I, uh, there's a term that I use and it's called the horny fog. Um, when you're, when you're caught in the horny fog, you know, and you're lusting after this person and you're in that, you know, that honeymoon stage, 
there's literally nothing that could snap you out of it. So, I mean, it's like hindsight is 50 50, but when you're in that horny fog, baby, you can't see through it. Especially because, like, she is, in her mind, like, living the American dream. Like, she just came here. Her, You know, things are sort of on the up and up for her. She met this really strikingly handsome man who's a Marine, which is a very honorable position. And, you know, it's all it seems too good to say no to, especially if you're like, you know, you're 18, 19, like, that's kind of a time in life when everyone's a little bit of an idiot and short-sighted. Yeah, definitely. I don't even think she ever had a boyfriend before or anything like that, even before she had came to America. So, I mean, I totally get it because, you know, I'm from a military town, so I know how military guys really are. But I see how, you know, they're very romanticized, Um, you know, so I I can understand why she was attracted to him for sure. But um, that ring was definitely not doing it for me. I'm just not that idealistic. Like, no, I need to see some real. I want to see some carrots. You know what I mean? Yes, I agree. It's, it says something to to have a guy who's going to take time out of his day to impress you. You know, you have to wear that thing for your whole life. I got to show people this. Like, I have to like I have to I have to present this to people. You can't have me out here look down bad like that. <laughs> but like, you know, the other part of it is you're right. Lorena was a virgin when they met and just sort of based off of the way that John operates i sense that he was not so sexually naive no no i don't i don't think so i think he was definitely a hoe i mean oh for for sure like like, i mean now he looks bad but when he was young he was kind of fine like he he was i mean i would give it to him like especially for the time like he he definitely did look good even though i looked up his height he's only five six are you fucking kidding me no, he, he's only like five, six. And, he, and have you seen that one picture of them? It's a real cute picture. She has like a purple out. She has a purple like outfit on. No, let me find they're standing, it. They're standing. He's standing right behind her. She's only like five, three. And when you see him next to her, you're like, oh, yeah, he's a little guy. So that's really interesting because I wouldn't have thought that. Um, I, I mean, I definitely this was a climate in America where like little boys were growing up wanting to be Marines like yeah. that was, you know, it was very much like an all American hero thing. They were running ads for it that made it look like if you became a Marine, you were a badass. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, he's about a head taller than her. Right. Yeah. He's not much. He's not. But I tend to think that people I I mean, I'm five nine. Uh So I'm kind of tall for a woman, I guess. So like to me, five seven. No, I can't do that. Yeah, I'm five eight. I'm the same way. Like I've gotten less picky about like, oh, I I like to date a guy who's over six feet. Like, I actually think it's kind of I think it's kind of cute sometimes when a guy is on the shorter side because, you know, he has to try harder in life. But <laughs> you know, like I like a guy that doesn't have everything in his favor necessarily going. Sure. But sure. um, all of that said, let's uh, discuss the fact that he makes a really shitty comment about Mercedes weight. Yes. And that's going to be the first of many. He thinks everybody's fat. He does. He does. And this was also not a great time just in terms of like the standard of beauty for women that had any sort of shape at all. 
Right. And like, have you tried on like, quote unquote, mom jeans? Have you like ever tried any on? No, because I have no torso. So that shit like goes up to under my boobs. Well, right. And like, I don't have the body for those. And I always am like so happy and like thinking like I could have never have grown up in the 80s. I would, what would I have worn? Like, right. <laughs> I would have had to be naked constantly. I mean, they look terrible in me. So, yeah, it was definitely a hard time to uh, be anything but like a size zero through five for sure. But that's like a thing for me when I hear a guy, even if like, you know, even especially if it's done to make me feel like, you know, oh, you're so pretty. She's so, you know, blah, blah, blah. That really bothers me when I hear a guy making like a fat phobic comment or just like making fun of a woman's looks, especially when she's not his to like make fun of. Like if you have a comment to make about a woman who's passing you on the street, how sad is your life? Right. No, it's definitely corny. And I mean, she tried to kind of like, you know, one thing I admired about her throughout this whole thing, and we'll get more into it, was that, you know, she did try to assert herself every now and then, you know, but she, you know, she still she still couldn't see through them, you know, because that would be a big red flag to me. Like, I personally think it's so I don't like it when men are like gossipy at all. I, and I know that's kind of like one of those general things, but yeah, that's, I don't like that when guys are like, oh yeah, she like eats a lot or, you know, it really make any comment about a woman and what a woman is doing. Don't like that. Yeah. You never comment on how much you see someone eat like ever. I feel cause you don't know their, you don't know their story. You know what I mean? Like at all, they could have been hungry all day. Like don't, I don't know all of those things. I, I just don't feel like you can make fun of any, something that someone can't help. You know what I mean? Right. I don't like physical. I don't really, I don't like jokes about like stuff that people physical, you know, there's so many much stuff to make fun of. Like he could have called her like the warden or, you know what I'm saying? Like anything like that, but you choosing to joke about her physicality. That's shallow. Fucked up. So then we go to like talking head Lorena, as I refer to her in my notes. And she says that um, she built this fantasy of them living their lives together, living around the world, making a family. She was just 19 years old and she'd never dated before. John was her first love. And then we cut to them getting married in a very humble ceremony. She promises to love him forever and ever because after the ceremony, he oddly looks at her and is like, do you love me? <laughs> I'm like, shouldn't you have gone through that before? The it wedding. seems like a plausible question to ask prior. Yeah. Right. So Lorena's working at the nail salon and the manicurist next to her is like kind of jealous. You know, she went out shopping without her. Where's that cute new blouse from? And Lorena says that she got it at the store on the base in Quantico because now that she's married, she has base privileges and it's the best. They have the greatest grocery store. Gas is really cheap there. She feels very privileged to have this life. Um, I've never done like base shopping, but I have heard it's incredible. Do you have experience with that? Absolutely. It is. It is incredible. I'm not going to lie. And it's tax free. Like, and, and like the base that I used to live close to, like back when Michael Kors was really popping, like you could go in there, you could get Michael Kors for hella cheap. Um, all the, um, they have a place called the shop at where you can go and get liquor and it's hella cheaper than like on, uh, off base. 
Yeah, I mean, no, shopping, uh, shopping on bases, it really is the plug for sure. Especially for like a 19 year old girl, you're like, that's everything. You know, that's like all you exactly. want in life is like cheap shopping, like great stuff at a good price. So Lorena's working. Uh, yeah. So her friend says to feel free to set her up with one of his friends. And Lorena's like, oh, you might like Todd. He's not as handsome as John, but he's John's cousin who's currently living with them. And her friend's like, what do you mean you have some guy living with you? And she's like, no, it's not weird. We all live together because Todd's basically like his brother. And her coworkers like, you guys have only been married a month. Like, doesn't it get in the way of newlywed activities? And Lorraine is like, we find time. Plus, family is important to both of us. And Todd will only be there a couple weeks. Um, we should do a double date sometime. So... After this, Lorena gets home from work and John's playing cards by himself at like the small little table they have. And one thing that's really interesting about the way this is made to me is it showed all the different sort of houses they lived in or different apartments they lived in. And it seems like they moved like five or six times during their time together. Yeah, military people tend to move a lot. Um just like, especially because they probably will before, because you get more money once you get married. So that's what a lot of people do move. They, they, a lot of people in the military get married so they can get that extra couple racks, you know, and then they could get like a better place. Or if you're staying on base, you just get a better place on base. Yeah. So that's interesting because it is sort of, I think, a joke that guys in the military get engaged like two weeks after they meet someone. Oh, yeah, because you get like two thousand extra dollars. One of my friends tried to marry me when I was like 18. So he and he was like, yeah, I'll give you a thousand dollars a month. And like I was dead ass about to do it. But then he started acting. <laughs> And like he started acting like he was my real boyfriend, and I was like, okay, wait, wait, no, no, no. So yeah, yeah didn't do that. I love that you were going to be a wife for a thousand dollars a month. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I didn't have a problem with that at all. <laughs> like I was like, I mean, I kind of was on the fence about it, but I was like, I mean, I could get it annulled. My mom had an annulment. I mean, no biggie. And then another sort of like stereotype of these military wives is that they're all cheaters who try to have as many kids as possible. Um, I don't know about that one. I'm not sure. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I just tend to think men are the cheaters. That's the, that's the, that's what I like to go with. So. I mean, I that's what yeah. I like to believe in, too. But there's like a lot of um, <laughs> there's a lot of Reddits dedicated to sort of hating on military spouses. Um, but Lorena, yeah, she gets home from work and John's playing cards by himself and she tells him that she has a surprise. She made reservations for them that night at Blackbirds. And John's like, no, that place is way too fancy. We can't afford that. And Lorena's like, nope, I got my first paycheck today. It's time to celebrate. And John looks a little too excited when he sees how much she made on her first paycheck. Right. You know, I mean, I'm going to be real with you. It kind of set a precedent for me about how little could possibly make this man happy because while great money can be made in any industry working as a nail tech, 
I don't I can't imagine is a super crazy profitable job in terms of the check. I think you get a lot of tips, but like the check you get, it's like being a waitress a little bit. It's like a much smaller check. Exactly. And I think maybe just because like they're just saying money in general, like we're not supposed to think that deep into it. But I definitely thought the same thing. Like, wait, she should be bringing hella cash tips home. It shouldn't be on the check. Right. So then he changes his tune about going out to dinner, but he doesn't want to do blackbirds. It's too stuffy. So this is classic narcissist shit where it's like someone comes home excited to do something and then you got to put down where it is they want to go and then make them think like, oh, but you said you wanted to go out to dinner. So why don't we just go to the place I want to go? Right. This was really like I, I really didn't like this scene at all. Like, yeah, let's go. I'm the listen. I'm the breadwinner. I'm the captain now. You understand that? You don't. This is my paycheck. So we're going to go where I want to go. What's wrong with you, man? At least for one dinner. But he wants to go to his favorite dive bar, Chelsea's, and they have wings there. And Lorena loves wings. So what's the problem? And then Todd comes out of the bathroom and John's like, grab your jacket, buddy. You know, we're going out to dinner and it's on Lorena. So they're in this dark little dive bar. Oh, wait, I should say first that Lorraine is a little bit appalled that Todd is invited because she thought it was just going to be the two of them celebrating. But he's like, don't be he goes, don't be rude. If your family was here, they would be included, which is such a like false and strange argument because it's not as if her family is ever just going to be casually at their apartment the way that his cousin Todd is just posted up for three weeks. Like when her family comes, there's plane reservations and probably months in advance. Like I doubt that the, uh, the Gallo family was just rolling up to the house for a couple weeks, but Right. And later on, see, a couple years later, Erica Badu, she's going to write a song called Call Tyrone. Yes. And in that song, <laughs> she's going to say, I got to pay your way and your homeboy way and sometime your cousin's way. And I feel like she was privy to the Lorena Bobbitt, you know what I'm saying, situation. Like they have something in common there because me, I'm never paying your homeboy or your cousin's way for nothing. So don't even look at me like that. You're crazy. First of all, I have chills that you just referenced one of my favorite songs. I have the, <laughs> I have a, a vinyl record that has just five versions of her singing that song. <laughs> and it's my favorite. And I always love because in L.A. you see a lot of shit when you're riding around town. And I have seen multiple call Tyrone situations while I was in the car. And I'm like, oh, she is 100 percent pulling a call Tyrone right now because I she is not happy. This man's stuff is in boxes on the sidewalk. It's a bad scene. So sometimes you got to call him because you, you just got to get you got to get away from me with this. I'm not like Todd has nothing to do with me. OK, right. So at Chelsea's, you know, it's a familiar scene. OK, it's like a dive bar. And these people are not there to like have wings and some beers. When John goes out, it's definitely with the intention of getting shit faced. And Todd is bringing over what seems to be like the fifth round of shots at that point. And Lorraine is like, you know what? I want to go. I'm hungry and this isn't fun. And he's like, no, Todd and I are having a blast. And she's like, I'm going to take the car home. Why don't you and Todd take a cab? And he takes the keys from her 
And he does this sort of like, oh, you want it? You want this like sort of game with her where she keeps trying to go for the keys and he pulls them away right before she can get them, which is one of those things that, you know, seems like maybe annoying, but you don't realize at the time it's like a tiny breaking of your soul. It's just a little thing they're doing to get you used to the idea that they're in charge. Right, like he's in control all the time, and I and I'm gonna be honest with you, I'll be damned if a man with the last name Bobbitt is gonna <laughs> treat me like this. As a matter of fact, if he wanted to marry me, he would have had to take my last name, that old goofy ass last name. But anyways. No, I was thinking that, too, when I was watching the movie, I was like, you know, the more I hear it, the more I'm realizing that Bobbitt is a really unattractive last name. It's just so goofy. And I mean, I'm so sorry if your last name is Bobbitt, you know what I mean? And you're listening to this right now, because I know that that's not your fault. But I would say if you're a female, just marry, get get married. You know, I usually don't encourage people to just go out and get married, but just do it, babe. That's true. If you're listening to this podcast and your last name is Bobbitt, you've been through enough and you don't deserve (laughs) my shit for sure. So on the ride home, Lorena's all concerned that he's driving 85 miles an hour and zigzagging all over the road, which, you know, that is a good thing to be concerned about. That's fair. And she tries to grab the wheel from him because he's sliding over into the wrong lane and about to get into a collision. And this just completely infuriates him because it's a real life and sort of symbolic way of her taking control of a situation for even a moment. And he can't stand it. And he starts just like wailing on her and like basically punching her in the passenger seat. And in this version of the movie, Todd is completely passed out in the back seat. But in the documentary, Lorena says that Todd was awake. And at one point she sort of glanced up into the, a rear view mirror to see if she could like lock eyes with Todd. But Todd was just looking at John and nodding and being like, yep, like, sh- yep, put her in her place, show her what we do when women act like this, which especially is interesting because they're family. Like, Todd's exactly. is- it's yeah. a family thing that's normal in their family, yeah, which is so scary. That is so, so scary. And he like hit her like. He was Ric Flair. Like, I mean, he's like WWE, like clenching her. And when when he's done, he's like, don't cry. I didn't even hit you that hard. So he's also being like calling her a pussy kind of. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like it's his little sister. (laughs) Right. That is totally big brother bullying shit. That is exactly what that is. Yes. So when they get home, Lorena goes into the bedroom and he follows her and he's like, listen, stop crying, you know, and and she won't stop. So he starts smacking her around and the fight is becoming a little bit more animated and you can see it um, from the outside. They're fighting in in the view of a window and someone starts knocking on the door and John assumes that it's Todd and he's like, Todd, let yourself in. It's open. But Todd or whoever it I'm is, beating my wife. Yeah, I'm I'm beating my wife, dude. Like, let yourself in, or I'll come and get you when it's done. But sh- fucking chill. I'm trying to get something done here. So he goes to the front door, and it is a police officer checking in to make sure that everything is okay. He says, "Yeah, you know, I'm. It's fine. Sorry about that." 
And he's like, have you been drinking? I drove by and I saw a scuffle through the window. And John's like, yeah, I've been drinking. Sorry. We haven't had time to get blinds or anything. So, you know, John. Oh, my God. Can I just say that this is like, okay, so men are so good at skipping around the important parts. Like, he's like, oh, uh, yeah, we haven't. Sorry you had to see that. We haven't uh, (laughs) had time to get these curtains yet. Like, what? That's not the that's not the main point of this line of questioning. I'm wondering about the ass whooping that this woman is taking, sir. Right. And that's the kind of dumb I think John was as well. Like, I think that he was literal like that. Like, I think that he was thinking, oh, the the problem here is that he was able to see through the window, like just very sort of plain minded like that. And um the cop is asking what's, you know, going on with the fight, though, John. And John's like, no, 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 no. It wasn't like that. You know, my wife gets paranoid sometimes and I have to calm her down. And the cop, like, looks past him and sees Lorena standing in the living room. And he's like, do you want to stay here? And she shakes her head no. And he asks her if she has another place to stay. She also says no. But she wants to leave anyway. So the cop escorts her away and John slams the door behind him. And, you know, it's interesting that she says she doesn't have any place to stay. But I think it's very understandable because she does know the Castros. Obviously, she has Jana. But the reality is that she doesn't want to go to these people one month into her marriage because it's only one month into them being married and say, Hey, you know, that guy that I convinced you all was a good guy. He's he's beating me now. I don't want to go home. So she didn't want to admit defeat. Yeah, I mean, who would want to admit that after a month? I mean, after any amount of time, you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't. I mean, that's a very embarrassing thing. Like nobody wants to admit that. But yeah, a month. That's that's tough. And like, you know, obviously abuse is sort of evergreen. It's not something that's like, oh, it happened back then. And, you know, no woman would stand for it now. That's not true. There's so many women in domestic violence situations. But I think especially back then, it was something that a lot of women dealt with and they just didn't talk about it. There wasn't a forum for it. And we know because of this movie, you know, and also we we know because of this whole story that a lot of things were put in place for women um, after after this. A lot of laws were put in place. This shed a huge light on domestic violence. And I think it's unfortunate that no one cared until a man got his precious, precious penis cut off. Um, but. You know, it's uh, this was definitely a time when like you uh, uh, it was very difficult to come forward. There wasn't there was definitely a precedent for it, but it wasn't a super well-established thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, even Lorena, she talks about how and I really love that she did this, too, because later on, she's going to talk about how there was no like hotline for her to call. And she's like, even though millions of people and she actually said people instead of saying just women, because, you know, we, we love an, an inclusive queen. She's including men that are also abused, too. But at that time, there was no. You know, there was no hotline for women or people, like you said, to call. Um, So, yeah, it was a very secretive thing. And, you know, I do think like she was a catalyst for a lot of this stuff. She she was and she continues to work in this today. It was um, interesting on on uh, New Year's Day. We did like a little family 
group chat and I had mentioned that I was getting ready for this podcast. And my mom said that she saw Lorena Bobbitt speaking at an event like a year ago. And it was in Boston at a um, at a domestic violence shelter. And it was the talk targeted specifically for Latina women in Boston. And I was like, mom, why were you there? And she it turns out she has a friend because thankfully my mom, this Irish woman, uh, you know, in her fifties is not, it doesn't apply to her, but, um, yeah, Lorena Bobbitt's still at large helping women out. It's kind of amazing. So that we cut back to Lorena and her talking head. And she says that she kept telling herself that it was going to pass and that everything would be okay, but it didn't get better. So we see back in 1993, three hours after the incident at the emergency room where Lorena is awaiting her rape kit. She's also being comforted by Jana and interrogated by a police officer. And this isn't the real full interrogation. This is just that cursory thing when they get an incident report and they have to go into the hospital and deal with it. You know, they're, they're getting basically down just the, the bullet points of the case. And Mm -hmm. this whole movie is so triggering to just hear how men speak to women and also to victims who are, you know, still not the clear victim necessarily because all these guys were just really freaked out that this guy lost his penis. That's like, that's the bottom line is that the main concern for everyone was not what happened to this woman that made her want to do that to her husband. It was like this weird mass hysteria about the idea that a guy might not have a penis. Um, And it's just, you know, because I've never had one, I don't know this, you know, supposedly very intense relationship with that men have with their dicks. I've only heard of it. Um, but well, you know, they're very attached because if you if you spend time with a man, you will notice that they have to touch it maybe like four to five times per hour just to make sure it's still there. Yeah. Touching, thinking about it, working for it. They do it all for their dick. And it it was it is kind of interesting when you think about, especially in this scene, how the guy's tone is so influenced by that. Let's play this clip. 1732 to 1938. We were in the apartment in the bedroom. He made me have sex. After I, I went to the kitchen and I took the knife and then I don't remember. And then there was so much blood. We're aware of the incident, ma'am. But uh, what I need to know now is, is where it is. The appendage. What'd you do with it? What about what the bastard did to her to make her do this? This woman's husband is here in this hospital and he's in critical condition. John is here. Please, please don't invite me. No, ma'am. I don't think that's possible. He's in pretty bad shape. What we need to do now is to locate it to see if they can sew it back on. And threw it out the car window. On old Centerville Road, near a convenience store. 
Send them out. Do grid search on the old center ball around the convenience store. Okay, so uh, the nurse is going to come in and uh, administer a perk exam. Do you know what that is? It's a rape kit, honey. They're going to collect evidence so they can prove what John did to you. All right, nail sit tight. The nurse will be right in. Can I go home after that? We're a long way from that. Oh, I mean, this is why people, so many people don't report, they don't deal with it because it's like, who wants to be spoken to like that after going through something so traumatic? Like he's like, he's talking to her like she's not human. Yeah, he's like, oh, we're aware of the incident. Just where's the penis? I hate that like language like that. We're aware of the incident. It's like, don't condescend to me, asshole. Like, I understand that you have a job to do and that you need to be professional, but like, there's no reason to be so clinical about it. Now, this is very interesting that John was also in the same hospital on the other side, you know, their urologist is there waiting for the penis to be found and to come back. The guy who did this surgery on John was basically a rookie surgeon. He had never done anything like this. I don't think a surgery like this had ever really been performed before. So there was no precedent for it. And whether or not John's dick would like ever work again was going to be sort of a two year discovery process of, you know, them seeing how this reattachment went over time. Um, I don't even know how they would clean something like that before attaching it, if I'm being honest. I think you just kiss it up to God. You're like, God made dirt. Dirt don't hurt. All right, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. I Yeah, if they had gotten it earlier, maybe like the five second rule would apply. But like, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. So, you know, this um, Jana, thank God for Jana. I'm so comforted by Jana myself. I'm watching it. And I'm I love like, her. I'm like, thanks, Jana. I know you're right. She did go through something terrible. So, um, her- it's always good to have like a powerful white lady in your corner. You know what I mean? Because not only is Lorena a young woman, she's also, and we have to really keep this in the forefront of our mind. She's also an immigrant. You know what I mean? She has yeah. speaking broken English. And I think that that also influenced how people treated her as well. Because a lot of times people treat, uh, you know, people that are uh, ESL, English second language, like, you know, like they're slow and it's like, no, like I speak two languages, you know, I'm not retarded or can't say the word. Um, I'm not slow. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm processing it. So I, I really love that she had Jenna in her corner for sure. And, you know, think about it. Like she is this religious Catholic girl. She's still really young. She was a virgin up until, you know, she met her or she married her husband and words like rape, especially, you know, now that word, we're less afraid of saying it, but for sure, I don't even think that was in her vocabulary either, you know, no. but like what made me upset about this part was like, it was because she didn't have the great command of the English language. Like, so I think she, it kind of made it seem like she had cut his dick off because 
Uh, or no, maybe that's later. That's later on. And she, it made it seem like she cut his dick off because he couldn't make her come when I actually think if that was the case, at a certain point, it would be justifiable. Like, Yo, <laughs> you're coming every time, man. Like, this is bullshit. No, she does a great job of sort of explaining that a little bit. But yeah, I think that none of this was anything that she was prepared for. How could you ever be prepared for it? Right. But, you know, especially if you don't have the vocabulary for it in your first language, I can't imagine trying to explain it in your second. So, um, you know, John is basically being treated as the priority victim right now. And everyone is so scared about this penis not, you know, working out for him. So Lorena says in her talking head that the first night was a blur, but she remembers being absolutely terrified. She didn't know what, you know, she did. She had no idea that this would change her life forever. And, you know, I will say, thank God she didn't kill him because I don't think like she has the constitution of someone who could live with that. Like, I really think that doing this to him, it it really did hurt her because there's a big part of her that was like, had a lot of allegiance to John. And even though he did this terrible thing to her, she very much, you know, believes in traditional marriage. She believes in the idea of marriage. There's even points later on where, after all of this has happened, she says, you know, John is still my husband. You know, she takes that. She took that very seriously when I think a lot of people would be like, well, fuck him at this point. I don't think she ever really had that attitude. Yeah, she wanted to keep making it work for sure. And like, no, that's just But I think that's also like the privilege of being an American woman. You know what I mean? Like we have this like privilege of like uh um feminism like we have a privilege to be feminist and like and like know that we're equal parts and everything like that and i don't think that a lot of women are raised like that in other countries especially in that time no for sure not no for sure not and uh yeah it's and and you'd be surprised or you wouldn't be surprised at how many people do have access to feminism and the right to practice it and actively choose not to for one reason or another. But Lorena is getting interrogated with Jana and the detective They're You know, they're all in this interrogation room. And she says that John came in the room, the bedroom that night and he undressed, but he kept his underwear on. And the detective is like, wait a minute. You said that earlier. You said he took them off. And which one is it? And she's like, I guess he kept them on. And Jana's, you know, at this point trying to advocate for Lorena. But the cop wants to get into it more. Apparently, her husband's friend Robbie was there that night. He had come to stay with them from New York. And the two of them went out drinking. And the detective doesn't understand how Robbie was on the couch, but didn't hear Lorena yelling like she said she was. And Lorena says that the bedroom door was closed and the detective again pushes back and said that Robbie probably would have heard this. And then Jana calls out the cop and says whether he heard her or not doesn't matter. But the detective tells her that this is an official police interview and she can't interject. Then we go back to Lorena's Mm -hmm. talking head and Lorena explains that she was interrogated for 14 hours overnight. She didn't understand what was happening and her English wasn't very good. She was never offered a translator or an attorney during this time. And which seems crazy, like. And, and, and I mean, I love my girl, Jana, but how did she not say, yeah, we need a lawyer like 
no, we're not going to keep answering questions. She needs a lawyer. Like, and people, anybody listening, never talk to the cops without a lawyer, period. Right. No, it's true. It's true. And, you know, what's interesting about his little like, you know, oh, did Robbie hear it or not? If Robbie was on the couch. Well, like, you know what? A lot of people hear things and they don't do anything. Part of the- Exactly. Like, what did Robbie have to do with it anyway? Exactly. I mean, yes, he was in the place, but it's almost as if the detective has never heard of someone like passing out drunk or he's never heard of someone, you know, seeing something bad happen and not saying anything. Like, it's like, why is the detective so obsessed with Robbie? He's like super. It's like, why are you so obsessed with him? Like, let it go. Like, Robbie, he was minding his business, bro. He, like, isn't Robbie, like, he's staying on the couch. Like, he's not trying to lose his spot. Like, He's not going to have anywhere to go. He's going to have to pay for a hotel. Right. If you want to know about Robbie, at a certain point, you're going to have to ask Robbie. Because Lorena had her hands full. So, Lorena... And we're also talking about a grown man that goes by (laughs) Robbie. Like, what kind of credit? You know what I'm saying? Like, you're go by Robert at this point, sir. Grow up. Like, I don't care what a man called Robbie. Robbie. So in her police interview, uh, she tells the detective that John shouldn't have done this to her. And the cop responds by, oh, she says she says that she told John that he shouldn't have done this to her. And John responded by saying he doesn't care about her feelings. And she asked him why he had an orgasm inside of her because it hurt her when he made when he made himself do that. He always has an orgasm. He doesn't wait for me to have orgasm. He's selfish. I don't think it's fair. So I pulled back the sheets and then I did it. And then. Yeah, that's the part that I was talking about because it made it seem like she cut off his dick because he didn't make her come. Right, 100%. And then Lorena explains in her talking head that she didn't understand that the word rape didn't exist in her vocabulary and she might have said things that didn't help her because of that. So she basically incriminated herself. And what she meant when she made that statement was that John was just taking whatever he wanted. And after the incident, you know, she's tried to live a quiet life and stay away from the public eye. But John started to do interviews right away and the press loved it. And she became this international joke overnight. And, you know, Lorraine, I have to tell you, I love Howard Stern. I've always loved Howard Stern. And I just have to say how disappointed I was. I think that sometimes I do a little bit of revisionist history on Howard because of how, you know, much he's changed since he married Beth and because of maybe other, you know, situations with him in pop culture history that I just think are like delicious. But the way that Howard Stern rode for John Wayne Bobbitt is it's psycho shit. It's like beyond fan behavior It's like beyond Stan behavior. It's Yolanda shit. Howard Stern was so there for John Bobbitt. He held a fundraiser on New Year's Eve to help John with his penis surgery. Yeah, well, I think that Howard Stern is like obsessed with penises in general, right? He is. Yes, he is. And it's definitely an issue of like, 
you know, oh, this will be great for viewers. I have a bunch of guys who tune into my show because I interview porn stars and they'll all laugh about how I'm helping out this guy who lost his penis. And then Howard got a little bit ugly about it, too. And he, you know, started to make comments about how Lorena, because she was she was so young. She still had like baby acne a little bit, you know, like the way that you sort of get like pimples when you're like you know, a teenager, she had that a little bit. And Howard made some really like nasty remarks about her looks and just gave John an opportunity to shit on her, which is so fucked up because this case was ongoing. So all of this was part of like a media frenzy where they just kept feeding it and feeding it. And with that, you get to a point where it's really difficult to find a jury, if I'm being honest, just based on the amount of stuff that's out there. Like, I don't think anyone could possibly say at the time that they had no thoughts or prior knowledge about this case. Definitely. And the area that it was in, you know, being that it's so close to D.C., it was in the greater D.C. area. Like, that's a very uh, news concentrated or like, Everybody there is very aware of what's going on in the news and stuff like that, just because of how close they are to Capitol Hill and everything. So, yeah, I would say, like, there was no way that they were going to get an impartial jury at all. So, wait, where are you from again? I'm actually from Virginia. So where they're from is called Nova, Northern Virginia. I'm from the coast of Virginia. Uh, Like, um, yeah, I'm from, like, Virginia Beach. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where do you live now? Atlanta. Okay, so are you uh how's the um elections check there going? Are you ready to ready to vote? Yeah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna make it blue again, you know what I mean? But the thing is, like it's really um it's really I think even the rednecks out here are ready for a change. Like, I mean everybody just is kinda over it. Like, yeah, we need to do something different. So it's going good. I know you're uh, you were working today, but did you see that there was a um, all these tapes released of Trump on like a group call with all of these different politicians from Georgia? And he was basically kind of not so veiled threats to get them to get him more votes after the election. He was like, you know, are are the machines. Yeah, he's probably going to get impeached again if it's even possible to do that in the next, like, you know, 15 days. But um, the Georgia Republicans were like really over his shit. You could just tell they were kind of placating him with the call. But everything he was saying, they were shutting down. And, you know, it's hard to sometimes acknowledge like, oh, you know what? Good job, you guys, because you're also like saying that to people who have gotten away with a lot of heinous shit. But I was very proud of Georgia today, I have to say. Yeah, there's, I'm telling you, like, the. I mean, even as soon as Trump lost, like, those signs were out of those yards so fast. Man, they turned on their boy. Yeah, that was kind of delicious to see, like all the people being like, well, I guess it's over. Uh, (laughs) It was for nice four years. (laughs) Right. And thank God for that, though. Like, thank God for, um, you know, people willing to everyone who just gave it up. I know there's still so many people fighting for it, but everyone who gave it up, I have to give you a small pat on the back for that. So, um, 
as Lorraine is saying, you know, she was made a joke overnight. We see that she's working at the nail salon and there's this little TV in there that's just background noise, basically. And every woman in the place is listening to this background noise. It's about Lorena. It's people joking on TV and all the women in there kind of side eyeing each other, thinking about what they're hearing and who they're with. And finally, her friend Terry, uh, her good friend from work, gets up and turns off the TV. So talking head Lorena says that it felt like no one cared about domestic abuse, you know, not the you know things that she had been experiencing for years. It was a backseat to her being a joke and it made her feel worthless and like she didn't matter. Um, And one of the other characters in here in this movie that I think is kind of a hero besides Jana is this friend Terry from work. So I'm going to play a moment of the two of them in the back room um, as they're talking about how Lorena is processing this. Let's play 2429 to 2521. Come on, that's going to be okay. Do say that, but you're not up there on the TV. Everyone is laughing at me, judging me. <laughs> that man, he- my husband, he, he beat me. He raped me. Why does everyone think that's so funny? And you can't listen to that. And John was charged with assault. He's going to be found guilty. I don't know. He lies every time he's on the radio or the TV. And he's going to lie in court and people will believe him. The only thing I really, really value in my life is my sleep. It's never been a matter of how much I can do after a good night's sleep for me as much as how little I can do after a bad night's sleep. Plus, my dreams are my only retreat these days from the monotony of quarantine and the horror show that is the news and social media. That said, I needed a new mattress for years before I found my Helix, but I didn't know what to do. I'm at an age where it doesn't make sense to buy anything less than a big girl bed, meaning a mattress that's going to be an investment. But the problem was I've never found mattress stores to be a great experience. If I test out a bed with a mattress salesman who I'm projecting all kinds of crazy stuff onto because I watch too many Lifetime movies, just standing there watching me, asking me how it is, I'm the type of person to say, it's fine just to get out of there. And for the last year, it wasn't even an option to do that. Buying a mattress is way too big of a decision to go through all of that. The Helix experience is not only great, it's cool. You go on the website and take a quiz, it's just about two minutes long, that asks you how you sleep, if you run hot, if you've traditionally preferred soft, medium, or firm mattresses. If you share your bed, you can include your partner's needs too. The mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. Helix matched me with their Midnight Lux model. I said that I wanted to go with more of a medium firmness because my last mattress was soft and I was waking up in pain a lot of mornings. I cannot emphasize to you how hard I knock out every single night on this bed and how refreshed I feel when I wake up. There's a reason why Wired and GQ both ranked Helix the number one overall mattress of 2020. I'm less grumpy and I can start my day easier and faster when I'm well-rested. I'm obsessed with this bed and I want that experience for you too. 
Just go to helixsleep.com slash mother may I take their two minute sleep quiz. They'll match you with a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. You can even try it out for a hundred nights risk free. They'll come and pick it up from you if you don't love it, but I think you will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash mother may I. That's H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash M-O-T-H-E-R-M-A-Y-I. This episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. I've been subscribed to Book of the Month for three months now, and I'm obsessed. If you're a big reader or maybe even a lapsed big reader who's been wanting to get back into it regularly, consider checking it out. Book of the Month, they read like hundreds of books every month from new and emerging authors, and they whittled on the list to just the very best. They provide you a diverse little selection of hardcover fiction to pick from, which is an element of it that I really love. I can find going into the bookstore to be super overwhelming. And when I know I have about a dozen really solid options to choose from, it makes the decision way easier. Plus, it's cheaper than other options. Shipping is always free. And there's a loyalty program with rewards and even lower prices if you choose to stick around. There's an app where you can pick your upcoming books and track the progress of your reading, and there are challenges on there with rewards. Your book arrives in a super aesthetically pleasing box, by the way. That's the kind of touch that I always really appreciate. Personally, I read at my own pace. Sometimes I can only get to one of my two books a month, and I keep the ones I haven't read yet on my windowsill right next to my bed so I can just see them all there. It inspires me to pick one up and read. It's nice to have options in front of you. If you're interested in trying it out, you can get your first book for $5 with code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. That's code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm.
this little girl. I just want to give her the biggest hug and tell her that she's going to be okay. It's so hard to watch. I feel like this maternal energy is coming out of me where I'm like, it's okay, honey. It's going to be fine. <laughs> People do care. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's so sad. It really is. It is. It, it's heartbreaking because... Yeah, I mean, uh, to your point again, like when you are an immigrant, a lot of times you may have people here that you know, but for the most part, it's probably a very lonely experience, especially at first, which is why I have to always give hats off to people who have done it because it's um, it's not a task for someone who's not brave. And for this like young girl to be going through all of this in the midst of, you know, trying to find her place in this country that she's so passionate about. One thing about Lorena Bobbitt is that she decided to not take the plea deal because if she did, that would mean she's a felon, which means that she wouldn't be able to be an American. And that was not right. okay with her. her. She would have rather spent 20 years in jail than to basically give up her opportunity to potentially live in America. And that's something that I think is definitely lost. I think that because now we're kind of like hip to the fact that, you know, if you are American and, and you've lived here your whole life, like the American dream that we were all sold on as kids, it looks very different now. Um, America's not popping as you would say, it is a safe place for a lot of people. But like, uh, you know, it's not this place where it's like, oh, my God, America, like that's where everything good happens. All like America is so great. There, this had, you know, it had such a, a shiny veneer back in the 80s. Yeah, definitely. I think. Um, but like, I think that might be privileged, too, for us to even be able to say that as oh, Americans. It is. You know what I mean? Because like, I, I think for a lot of people, it still is. Like, I mean, it's just really horrible things happen in other countries where, and then it's just, there's no just, there's no justice for it or anything. So I don't know, but yeah, she definitely wanted to be an American. And, and I think she was really smart in not taking that plea deal. Never take the plea, man, at least the first deal. You know, it's, you're right. I think it is a form of privilege because, we, you know, have lived in a free country our whole lives, for sure. Um, however, I think that, you know, probably five or six years ago, if I heard people in other countries be like, America's dog shit, and I'd be like, oh, please, well, where do you, you know, where do you live? That's so great. What's so much better than America? And then I, you know, and then I think about the fact that, like, people can't pay for their diabetes medication and are going into debt to save their children's lives because of our healthcare system. And I'm like, you know what? I think that Reagan era shit was a little bit maybe oversold. Um, but again, definitely oh, yeah, privileged definitely. to say that. So we go back to 1989, the year Taylor Swift was born, four years after the incident. <laughs> or four years. I love before. that you used Taylor Swift's birthday as a, as a uh, I don't know, a, 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 mile, a milestone. Well, I mean, she put out a album of the year winning album called 1989. I mean, it's as a as a uh, Swifty, even the most casual Swifty knows. So this was, 
four years before the incident, we pick up on the night that Lorena spent uh, in her car after Chelsea's. She slept outside of the nail salon. And she wakes up and she waits outside for Jana, who like is like, oh, you're here early. She has like a big smile on her face. And Lorena, you know, Lorena pulls it together like she definitely doesn't look like she's, you know, having the best day of her life. But she's not someone that you would assume something is terribly wrong when you see her. Right. She pulls herself together. And when she gets inside, she says that she got there early because she had to take John to the base because his car broke down. And Lorena asked Jana, you know, if back when she was married, if she ever fought with her husband and Jana's like, was that why you're here so early? And Lorena nods and Jana says, well, if my ex ever asked me to get out of bed at six o'clock in the morning, we would have fought for sure. And Lorena's like, no, it wasn't about that. You know, I just I didn't think people yelled in a marriage. My parents have been married for 30 years. No yelling. And Jana has sort of a, you know, a poor kid kind of look on her face because that's how naive she is. is she doesn't think people yell in marriage, whereas right. me, a person who has known many married people, knows that there can be quite a bit of yelling in a marriage. <laughs> I did feel like, J- 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 what is it, Jenna? Jana? Jana, yeah. She, she could have probed a little bit more, though, because she kind of was just like, girl, I don't know what you're talking about, but I need some coffee. Like, whatever. Like, she didn't really... She should have probed a little more to find out, okay, what is this all about? Because she was a little dismissive, I thought. Yeah, it was a little dismissive. Um, It was a little dismissive. And again, I think that that's a little of the ESL playing into it, where she's just like, if she's saying what she means, which is like, is it normal to yell in a marriage? Like, how can I possibly really truly entertain that and get into it um, okay, true. so her like shit was I think really like you know she just was downplayed it's uh you know it's kind of remarkable in this movie how many clear attempts were taken by her to get out of this marriage and cries for help that she had made that's what's hard about this is that I'm like no wonder she cut off his dick like she was screaming for attention and no one gave it to her yeah, she she snapped like she snapped mm-hmm. because nobody would listen to her. I mean, and if you have to, hey, by my standards, if you have to cut a little dick from here, you know, from time to time, that's just <laughs> what you got to do. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's yes, you're 100 percent right. So Lorena's back at home making dinner later when John comes in and she says she doesn't understand what happened last night. Why would he hit her like that? And he says he was thinking about it at work and he was just worried that she was going to, you know, make them wreck the car. And Lorena doesn't accept this at first. She says that he was really drunk driving all over the road. And he says that she's being dramatic. And she says, you punched me. You hurt me. And he goes, no, I know. But what what's done is done. And let's just put it behind us. Which like, that's not like you, you forgot to wash the dishes. Like, it's not, oh, you left your socks right outside of the hamper. Like, dog, you beat me like a runaway slave. No, this is not okay. I know. Imagine. I'm black, so I can say that. Imagine the confidence to be like, what's done is done. 
You know, like absolutely not, especially because, you know, the finances of this home, John was making almost no money, like every job he ever got. And it's like, how dare you are? How dare you be in what is essentially another woman's house, a house that she is gracious enough to let you live in and tell her, oh, what's done is done. Sorry, let's move forward. Um And she tells him, you know, she can't really move on from that. But he just brushes it off. You know, he says, that's not him. We were just fighting because I was drunk. And she says, well, why didn't you stop drinking? And he goes, if that's what you want, that's fine. This will never happen again. I promise. I love you. But just so you know, you really shouldn't have grabbed the wheel. All of this could have been avoided. That so pissed me off. That Mm -hmm. so pissed me off. Like, so we just went on this whole roller coaster ride for you to get off and say that, yeah, but still, you shouldn't have grabbed the wheel. Like, man, that really pissed me off. I know. It reminded me of, like, being a kid and, like, just something irrational happening, like, getting disciplined some way. And, like, no matter what happened, it always came back to it being my fault when, like, I knew it was not. Like, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. like, that thing. So, He opens the fridge while telling her, you know, he's going to make it up to her. They'll spend Labor Day weekend in Ocean City with Todd. And he brings a can with him into the other room. And I noticed, okay, so it is a green can. But do you think that he just told her he's going to stop drinking and then went into the fridge and got a beer? Because I think that's what happened. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, why not? He doesn't respect her. He's not obvious. He's not afraid of her. So, yeah, he definitely just said, I'm, I'm, I will quit drinking right after I finish this six pack, honey. Right. So then we go to Ocean City, which for anyone who doesn't know Ocean City, it's basically a place for children. But then after that, it's a place for adults who want to get fucked up it is a place for college kids to go drinking this is where a lot of kids go to senior week i mean nothing says you know mature married couple like going to ocean city right i mean come on exactly it's like going to freaking bike week at myrtle beach or something that was like so random yeah just take her to dave and busters if you want to be a gentleman (laughs) right unlimited tokens So that's a great thing. Yeah. Hey, baby, I got you this unlimited tokens card. Okay, sorry, I hit you. Just don't grab the wheel next time. So he brings, you know, he brings his friend Todd and she gets to finally bring her work friend Terry along with her. So I'm going to play this scene of the two of them, Terry and Lorena, going into this little like seaside restaurant and they're waiting for John to join them. Um, there's going to be two single bar, two single guys in the bar. You're going to hear one of them at one point, but then after the whole bar seafood restaurant incident, we're going to hear the ride home 2854 to 3043. All right. See anything here you like? As long as there's hamburgers and beer, John will be happy. Really? Right in front of my face. What are you talking about? We're here to have a nice dinner. We are. Terry and I are starving. That's what you do in London. You pick up guys and you screw them. No. Do you think I'm stupid? Dad, calm down. Lorena wasn't doing anything. It was me flirting. 
Weekend's over. Let's go. Just had to ruin a perfectly good vacation, didn't you? It's not my fault. You're the one who decided to leave. What am I, an idiot? Leave you there to have sex with every guy on the beach? You're crazy. Nothing happened. It's not what it looked like to me. Guys only respond to women who are sending them signals. And from what I saw, you were radio damn Moscow. Stay out of this, or I will stop the car right here on the freeway and drop your fat ass off on the side of the road. One of the most hurtful things John did was to plant the seed in my head that everything was my fault, that I brought out the worst in him. And for a long time, I believed him. All right. Unacceptable unacceptable ruins the weekend himself by coming out of nowhere with some wild accusations that her friend was quick to defend her for right and you know i I, first of all i felt like this scene felt familiar to me cellularly like being on a date and the guy just like sort of flips out and it's like we're going home and like before you even know what happens like you're on the most miserable car ride back of your life and thank god for terry bothering to raise her voice because i think a lot of women and a lot of people would be afraid to get in the middle of something like that and despite being called a fat ass she tried her best yeah, like that's his go-to. That is his go-to move is to call somebody a fat ass. Like, and my whole thing was this too. Like, dude, I, well, maybe he was drunk. I, I feel like if this really happened, he he had to be drunk because what was he even talking about? It was so irrational. Not only did he probably have to be drunk, I agree with that. And even if he wasn't actively drunk, people who drink that way. It's always a little under the surface. Like you're always a little, right. it, you know, it, you're takes, a little drunk. Yeah. it takes, it takes a few weeks for, for someone who boozes like that to get it out of their system. It's just irrational behavior all the time, but not just that. I mean, to me, in my mind, where I saw that was that he and Todd just got back from some titty bar and he's like, you know, feeling all like, you know, in that mindset of like, I'm sneaking yeah. around cheating. I'm sneaking around looking at other girls. So when he sees some guy glance at Lorena, he assumes that she must be a part of it somehow. And it's like, no, dude, you're telling on yourself. Those are your dirty deeds that you're thinking of. That's a great point. I think that that's really true. He has a guilty conscience and he he puts that on her. He puts that on her like projects. He's projecting for sure. And but then, yeah, shout out to Terry. She's spicy. I like her. She fly too. And then when he, she is fly. And then when he says uh, that she, you know, guys only hit on girls who want to be hit on. It's such a stark contrast thinking about how he met her. Which is like, she oh, my God, I was thinking about that, too. Like, what signal did she send out to you? All you saw was her back. All you saw was her back. She was facing the bar. She didn't even know who you were until you started talking to her. So I don't know what signal that could be. Like, she's just walking around being an adorable young woman. 
You know, people, you should be proud that people are attracted to your wife. Exactly. Like, why didn't he, and see, you know, he's like a classic bully too, right? Because instead of, if he thought that they were flirting, why he didn't go try to start a fight with the dude? Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's like, it's, uh, it's very easy to pick on a woman. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So Lorena is decorating a Christmas tree. It's sometime later and she's decorating a Christmas tree in what seems to be like their third apartment that they've lived in. And (laughs) she's alone. And John comes in in his uniform and is happy to see that she's getting in the Christmas spirit. And she's like, oh, I'm glad you're not mad that I didn't, you know, I didn't get this tree with you. And he's like, no, I like that you're into the holidays. And what do you want Santa to bring you? And she goes, nothing, just something that tells me that you're thinking about me. And he goes, oh, so a hot little lace teddy it is then. Um, Which is gross. Gross. No one, no woman is dying for some itchy ass underwear for Christmas. That does not reek of love, by the way. And if I want it, I'll buy it myself, you freaking creep. Also, lingerie is a present for you. Like, it's a present for the the person giving it. It's not a present for the person on the receiving end. That's just, like, mostly kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, it's like, right. You buy it for yourself because you want to look sexy. You don't, a man doesn't buy it for you. Mostly because they have no clue about women's clothing sizing. They have no idea. No, lingerie is so specific, too, because like you can take the, you know, hottest person and put them in the wrong cut of lingerie and somehow it still comes out a mess. That's right. And if you're plus size, all you're getting is like one of those teddies. When has that ever been sexy? Like the thing that's like a hula hoop at the bottom? Like, (laughs) I don't know. Like, when is that sexy? I don't know. Where do you get lingerie? Oh, I, I, I get my underwear from like, uh, you know, like not pack panties, but like the single ones in Target, you know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> yeah. like five for 25. Oh, you That's like, what I do. you go fancy with I it? Just, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm fancy like that. I, I, I graduated from pack panties, you know what I'm saying? So, that's what I do. <laughs> so um, he comes up behind her and gives her a kiss on the neck. And then he has a moment to really look at the tree and like his eyes go blank like you can see he's starting a red zone and like he's like this is a fake tree my family always had real trees and then she says well i could barely tell the tree was fake you know i think it's pretty good and this is what i'm used to growing up in venezuela christmas was in warmer climates so we didn't have proper christmas trees at that time of the year which I think is actually a, a cute cultural detail. And if if my partner said to me, oh, yeah, like I'm getting a fake tree because it's what we do in my culture. I'd be like, yeah, let's get a fake fucking tree. That's adorable. I love that because where you're from is warm during Christmas. That's cute. I would exactly. Do- and she's being hella thrifty because she's going to say like, and yo, we can use this for hella years. Like and that's I thought he liked the thrifty. I thought he liked to save money like, dude. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. What do you want from me? Yeah, like she, what, is she supposed to go buy a real tree everywhere? And like, by the way, if this was a real tree, there's no way she would have been able to set that up herself. This little girl trying to like lift up a six foot tree and like put it on a stand, like 
if you haven't like personally screwed a Christmas tree into a stand in your life, like it is very difficult. It is not for a petite individual to do by themselves. So I don't know where he thought if I, if I was John and I wanted to be crazy, I'd be like, who helped you bring that tree up here? Huh? Like, do you have some big, strong, that's a way better angle? <laughs> yeah, that's a way better angle. <laughs> like pick, pick something to really be mad about Johnny boy. Yeah, I know. You guys, if you want any tips on how to uh, creatively abuse your spouse, <laughs> I'm available for consulting. Um, but yeah, so John cracks open a beer and he's like, I want a real tree. She's like, no, it's a total waste of money. And he thinks that, you know, she has gotten a little too comfortable making financial decisions in the family. And she's like, you know, I, first of all, I make the money, but secondly, you know, my family has saved a lot of money doing this over the years. And he goes, your family, if you like your family so much, why don't you go back to Brazil? And she's like, John, I'm from Venezuela. Like, excuse me? Now, now, now that pissed her off. You know what I'm saying? You can, you can do a lot. You can punch me. You can talk drunk about my fat friends. But when you say I'm from Brazil, now you've crossed the line. Right. She's like, oh, like, not only are you throwing out the you're going to deport me card, but you don't even know what country I'm going back to. (laughs) (laughs) So besides, you know, she says this is her home now. And, you know, he tells her that he can only get he can not only get her kicked out of the country whenever he wants, you know, he's like more than willing to do it. And she says to him that she got her visa before they met and her status has nothing to do with him. And I was like, oh, my God, thank God she knows her legal rights around that. Right. I thought that was pretty that was pretty, a pretty boss move. Like she was like, listen, sweetheart. (laughs) okay, my green card doesn't have nothing to do with you at all. So don't even don't even ever bring that up to me again. But he tells her no one will believe her and that she's just an illegal alien who could possibly believe her and he gets all up in his face all up in her face and he says that she's such an idiot it drives him crazy so she gives him like a little like half-hearted push like almost something that would be viewed as flirty in a different context but he goes fucking nuts he views this as her taking a first swing and he completely snaps and tackles her to the ground he has her in a chokehold And he drags her into the bedroom and we see Lorena and her talking head say that John's attacks got worse and worse. He basically became a bomb that was ready to explode at any moment. And she had no warning. So Lorena's working on a customer at the nail parlor. And while she's working, she pulls up one of her sleeves and the woman notices bruising all over her arms. And Lorena makes up some lame lie about how something happened with her car. Like it was like, honestly, it was such a a nonsense lie that it was like, I, you know, it just was so obvious what had happened to her. Um, And then she like scurried off, which made it even more obvious. Yeah. And Terry joins her back there and Lorena's like, you know what? Don't worry about it. I have the best news in the world. Lorena's preparing to surprise John that night with the news that she's pregnant and um, he's vegged out in a lounge chair watching TV. She's in the kitchen. And uh, when we play this scene, just so you know, when he starts to react, it's when she comes out and she puts a bib around his neck, which 
Right. I, I didn't know that they were doing that back then. I thought that, that was sort of a more like, I mean, I guess people have probably always done stuff like that. I just always assume with like announcing a baby in a way like this is more um, more something that started during like the Internet era. Well, she did. They just, she just didn't have she didn't have Facebook Live to, you know, right. show everybody else. But yeah, she was pretty. She was crafty. OK, let's play thirty three forty eight to thirty five thirty three. What's for dinner? Please tell me you do not screw up and get pregnant. But we talk about this, John. You know I want to have kids. Do you even think this through? How you can take care of it? You work all the time. I'll quit my job. And live on what? My salary? I don't make enough according to you, remember? Really, Ida? As usual. Always (laughs) using that head. I thought you wanted a baby. Yeah. Right. No, there is only one thing to do. Ah, look. Somebody who will understand you. Call. Make an appointment. Now! I'm having this baby. I bet you're doing it on your own. Or trap another asshole to take care of it, because I sure as hell am not. Please, John, this is our baby! You have a decision to make! It is either me or that thing. I'm going to chance this. Oh, um, just let me know if I need to start packing. All right. So I do want to before we get into that, I do have to real like roast something about this movie because it's it's difficult to roast in general. But the sound of his footsteps that they tried to do sounds <laughs> so bad. First of all, not only are they doing like two footsteps for every possible footstep he could do, they're out of sync and they're like very loud. Like the footsteps are almost distracting when you're rewatching with a closer eye. But this whole scene was a nightmare. I mean, it was a mess. I can't imagine how heartbroken she was, especially, you know, not only as someone in a marriage, but as like a young girl and a Catholic girl. She obviously wanted to have a child. And this motherfucker gets up and pulls up the phone book for her and tells her, you know, to call them right that moment. And I'm like, dude, I don't think the abortion clinic is open at 8 p.m. on a Wednesday. Like, right. Even if like, we were, to, whole... were to call them now, they'd be closed. Yeah. Like the whole reaction was crazy. Like as if she orgasmed inside of herself. <laughs> You're the one that's. <laughs> Girl, shut up. Oh my God. <laughs> you did this to me. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then he. <laughs> he... He called it a thing? Like, yo, like, who is he? The predator? Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) This guy, man, he's something else. He really is, dude. This is, uh, yeah, it's kind of like, 
Oh, it's just sad, too, because, you know, that this is like some this is I mean, there's almost definitely someone listening to this podcast who's been on the receiving end of that reaction. And it's just so heartbreaking. And in the documentary, Lorena says that she had gone off her birth control and, you know, there's something to be said for making sure you have that conversation. I don't think she just like sprung it on him and went off her birth control, but like, especially if they had had a conversation about this and she got, you know, and this is what happened. I mean, it's just a nightmare and it does seem like John is unpredictable. It does seem like on a day on a different day, he might've received that news completely differently, but he's hungry he wants to have a beer. He needs he wants his needs met. He's got his needs, mm-hmm. which is so disgusting. But like, you know, that is like he is a base creature. He is an animal. He just wants his yeah. sex, his drinks, his, you know, his TV in front of him. He's gross. He is. But I'm not even going to lie. Like, I got kind of hungry when he was like, what's for dinner? Because like, I love <laughs> Latin cuisine. And I was like, damn, I do wonder what she'd be making for dinner. Like, (laughs) oh my God. No, that's so true. I love that about you. Thank you for saying that. That's what makes this show fun. You know, sometimes people say, what's for dinner? And you really want to know. So, like, yeah, like, (laughs) oh my God. There's this kid on TikTok that I follow. I think he's like 18 years old or something, but he's this guy that lives in a dorm room. And I think he probably very much grew up on like kind of American cuisine, just like what every most people grow up on in this country. And he's so cute. He loves food and he's always like thinking about food, talking about food, reacting to food videos. And he wanted to start trying some like international cuisine. And so we went and got an Indian tikka masala and he was like, you know, getting ready to take his first bite. And he he says to himself, God, I hope I eat this right. I looked up a YouTube video on how to eat it. I was like, (laughs) I don't think my heart has like broken from seeing something so cute in so long. Besides this boy saying that he YouTubed how to eat his Indian food. (laughs) You know what? Because now we've gotten to a point of like, maybe that's a little bit too culturally aware. Just eat the damn food, buddy. Like, just right. eat it. Right. It's so cute, though. I love to see him like, I love to see him try his new foods because it's just like, it's nice to see someone who wants to expand themselves like for no reason other than to just hopefully live a better life. You know, maybe there's some tikka masala is a life changer for sure. It is major game changer. Butter chicken is like, fuck me up though. That is like my, uh, I would die for that any day of the week. Yeah, no doubt. I'm I'm there. Mm. So, she and John are waiting in the room at the, the waiting room at the doctor's office. And this is this part got me, man. This is real too. this actually happened where, you know, they're not talking and she's quite actively already mourning what's about to happen to her. And John is just completely disassociated until he gets this sort of wicked thing about him and the actor plays this very well he like looks Mm -hmm. he looks over at her 
And it's like a very entertaining thought has just come into his mind. Something he thinks is really funny, an opportunity to strike. And he says to her, you know, they're going to use needles, big needles. And she asks him to stop. And he says, needles so big, they go right through your bones. And I've heard they don't use anesthesia. So you feel every little thing. And there's like a couple in the waiting room that look like they got themselves into a bad situation. They look like college (laughs) students. You know what I mean? And then there's this like mom and her daughter and they're all like horrified by what they're seeing because they're there for like, you know, reasons that are valid. And they're there because and John and Lorena are there because John simply just does not want his wife to have a baby. And she very much wants to have this kid. And it's just like it's it's kind of great the way they played it. And uh, this. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say this motherfucker is so dumb too. like needles for what you dumbass? What are you even talking about? If there's no anesthesia, then what they're using needles for? Shut your dumb ass up. <laughs> yeah, I think when he said like needles that go through the bone, I think he was thinking of like an epidural or something. Yeah, like he's totally an idiot. Like, and I just feel so bad that she's smart, but she's just so naive. Like she doesn't even know what to say back to him because he couldn't handle a bitch like me. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm just like, dog, shut your dumb ass up. Get out. No, John would not have picked you in, at that bar in the first place just because he's oh, like, oh, no, she's going to talk back. Like, she's going to fight back. I need oh, yeah. some, like, diminutive, demure little girl that's never going to say a word back to me in my life to the point where I'm making fun of her as I'm forcing her to get an abortion. Um, it's horrible. But I think the abortion, you know, even though, like, I've never... Thankfully, like I've never been in that position. I've never had to make that decision because I think it's like a it would be so hard for me to make that decision, um, even if it was necessary because of the situation. But I do think that it was really a positive thing that a child was never brought into the situation. I will say that. 100 percent. And I also don't think the Bobbit DNA necessarily needs to be continued on in the world. I know that she did eventually have a child with her second husband. So she did get to fulfill her dream of being a mom. But no, this child was not meant to be, I don't think. I think that this wound up being a a good thing overall. But then a nurse comes in, and this also happened in real life, is that a nurse noticed that she's sort of getting bullied by her partner in this waiting room. And she asks him if they're okay. Can she get Lorena in the back room and settled? And John tries to follow her in there. And the nurse tells him that he has to leave. And he tells Lorena that he'll be in the car, which is just like, oh, like, can you imagine like you go out to the waiting room and there's not even anyone there for you. You have to like hobble out to the car by yourself and like get driven home in silence. It's horrible. It really, really is. Like, this would have been my, I mean, if nothing else, this would have definitely been my breaking point. Like, this would have really, yeah, definitely been my breaking point. She probably, but shout out to the nurse. Yeah, she probably made him dinner that night if he didn't go out to Chelsea's. Like, that's that's where I think his sensitivity lies. Like, he's definitely that man that you could be married to for 30 years and, like, he doesn't notice when you go through menopause because that's how little he ever cared when you had your period. Like, 
that's Loki. He probably went to Chelsea's while she was in the, getting the procedure. <laughs> yeah, like, he wasn't even in the parking lot when she came out. <laughs> he drunk drives her home from her abortion. <laughs> awful. It's awful. So the nurse asked Lorena, you know, if she's sure she wants to have the procedure because they can talk about other options. But Lorena just wants to get it over with. And um, right. in her talking head, Lorena says that she and John were both charged with crimes. His was marital sexual assault and hers was malicious wounding. She's going through this traumatic experience and everyone is watching. It's like she lost control of her life overnight. We see Lorena being harassed by reporters outside of the nail salon. And there are sides to the reporting. She's a hero to women. Or does she think that a man should go to jail for having sex with his own wife? Why didn't she tell anyone he was being abusive? And that's the truth. And I would say that that still is the case anytime there's like an explosive case. Like if you even look at like Amber Heard and Johnny Depp and all of the different points of view that came out of that story and like, you know, the double talk and the, you know, men can be abused, but Women are more likely to be abused, but she's a sick person. I mean, like there's so many stories that can come out of one per- or two people's real truth. And it's kind mm-hmm. of scary. Yeah, definitely. It is. And like how people can like use that against you. Like, are you for real? Like, why didn't I say anything? Because I'm getting beat up on a constant basis. Like, what do you mean? I'm scared. Yeah, I'm a 98 pound immigrant whose husband has convinced her that she's worthless. Like, no, absolutely not. So um, in her talking head, Lorena says that people were more interested in the lurid details and the fact that domestic violence is an issue that affects so many people. And for some reason, that like really hit me when she said it that way. And I know that that's sort of what this whole movie is about. But when she says it in that scene, like I could feel like the tears like stinging the back of my eyes where I was like, oh, my God, like that is so true is that this is at the end of the day, a domestic violence case. And it's just it just is a different form than the ones we usually see. But because it has this penis detail, it gets lost in the wash completely that she was a woman who was beaten and raped repeatedly by this awful man. Yeah. Sad. So 1990 Thanksgiving Day, it's three years before the incident and they're living in a nicer house now. I actually loved this purple kitchen table. Yeah, that was nice. And it was like so, I don't know, it just seemed so uh, trendy. Yeah, it was very trendy. I, I, I could I could lose the chairs. I would be fine without the chairs. But I loved the table itself. The whole house is like a very cute mid-century vibe. And um, John's drinking at the kitchen table while Lorena and her mom are working on dinner. And her mom turns back from the stovetop to tell her, that she's so proud of her. And the two of them are speaking in Spanish, which, you know, God forbid John bothers to learn Spanish uh, at this point. I mean, isn't or even I mean, a few choice words. Right. I mean, at this point, it seems like it would be more difficult to not speak Spanish than, to, you know, just learn it. But um Yeah, she tells her mom that basically, you know, she's paying the mortgage, the bills, everything costs so much. She's just full of worry. And her mom says that John will take care of her. I'm going to play 3811 to 4137 
And I have a loose translation of the Spanish between them that I'll share after if you don't speak the language. John te va a cuidar. What are you all talking about in here? Okay, I may not know the Espanol, but I know my own name. <laughs> uh, Mama was just saying how beautiful our new house is. Isn't that nice? Oh, whatever my girl wants, she gets. Uh, how is your game? Down to the last few minutes. When's dinner? I'm starving. Hey! Hey! <laughs> uh, like mother, like daughter. Well, let's just see if she dances like you, too. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Oh. Okay, you two, that's enough. Come on, you. You, John. Oh. Out. We have cooking to do. <laughs> John, since your game is almost over, it's okay if we change the channel? They're rerunning the Macy's parade, and Mama really wants to see it. Yeah, that's a big old negatory. This. It's skins and Broncos, and I've got 50 bucks on the skins to win. John, you're not gambling, are you? Don't start with me, Lorena. Not today. Mama, ven aquí. Hell, Lorena, I told you I was watching the game. Mama just wanted to see the balloons. Are you deaf? I said no. No. Damn it, give me the remote. Great. Missed the touchdown, now the skin's lost. Way to go, Lorena. I didn't make them lose. What's the matter with you? Do you get some sick pleasure out of making me miserable? You know that's not true, John. This is my mother's last day here. It'll make her very happy to watch the program. Yeah, okay. Two can play that game. ¿Qué hiciste para que esté tan bravo? No entiendes, mamá. John tiene muy mal carácter. Oh, todos los hombres tienen mal carácter. Depende de ti mantener las paces. Lo intento, pero no sirve. Pareciera lo que todo lo que hago no, no está bien. Tu esposo trabaja fuerte. Te compró esta casota. Debería... Respetarlo. Tratarle mejor. ¿Mm? ¿Qué pasó? There. Now nobody can watch TV. Stop it. You're embarrassing me in front of my mother. Oh, please. I can't understand the word I'm saying. Lorena, está bien, mamá. Yo nomás está de mal humor. Vamos a ir a visitar los castros. So essentially when she and her mom were talking at, before John cut the cable, um, her mom said to her, what did you say to make John mad? And she says back, you don't understand mom. He has such a bad temper. And her mom says, all men have a bad temper. It's your job to keep the peace. She says, I'll try, but nothing works. I can't do anything right. 
And her mom says, your husband works hard. He bought you this big house. You should respect him. Treat him nicer. Um, And on the heels of her saying that he comes out after cutting the cable and takes both of their keys and basically runs outside. So Lorena can't take her mom to the Castro's house like she was going to do and um, drives off while Lorena's hand is still inside the car reaching for her keys. So he winds up dragging her alongside her him in the car for like kind of a minute it's like actually really like brutal um to think about how bloodied someone would be after that all right and her mom witnesses all of it you know yeah it's hella crazy like and and to think like the whole the whole thing is because he's such a broke boy that he only has one tv in his house like at the end of the day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you would make some money then you could have took your ass upstairs and watched the end of this game but like all jokes aside for real like that was brutal like that was savage what he did like that was crazy it was, in front it of was her mom at that in front of her mom too and it's like almost <clears> like he <throat> knew he could get away with it and i think you know what there's two things going on here he loves that her mom can't understand english but he's also mm-hmm jealous and paranoid that he doesn't understand Spanish and as a narcissist, he can't possibly imagine that they're having any sort of conversation that doesn't revolve around him. And it's just, you know, it's, it's rough. And the, the hardest part is I think listening to her mom sort of give her that pep talk about how women need to keep the peace in the family And then this incredibly violent thing happens and she hobbles into the house and her mom is basically like, you know, cleaning her up like she's a little girl, you know, like she needs to get Band-Aids put on her. And she asks her mom, you know, can can she bring her the phone? And her mom is like, nope. She shakes her head and she tells her that this is a family matter and strangers don't need to be involved. And she asks her mom, like, do you even get what's really going on here? John hits me all the time. This isn't the first time. It's not right. It has to stop. And so she limps over to the kitchen and her mom starts crying. She picks up the phone to talk to the police with her bloody hand. Um, and then in her talking head, Lorena says that a lot of people asked her why she didn't get help. And she says that she tried. She reached out to a lot of people. She called the police six times, but she never got the help or protection she needed. All it did was make John more violent. And Mm -hmm. John's looks, I think, go a long way. Like, I really do. I really think that there's something about, you know, like you put him in front of any sort of person and they want to give him the benefit of the doubt. He looks like that, just like that date rapey guy from college that just gets away with everything. He has that look about him. I know it's so crazy because when you said that, I was thinking I, like I, Brock Turner came and came to my mind. Like right. even though, like to, to me, like Brock Turner was not attractive at all. But it's just that face, man. That face, that blonde hair. It's mm-hmm. just you know historically, those are the people that run this country, and yep. uh, you know they just get away with a lot. Hmm. Like traditional American good looks, you know, so Lorraine is in the dining room opening mail one day when John comes charging in and he's on a 
he's on a tear because apparently she called the Marines and he's up in her face going, do you know what you've done? And she runs from him and she locks herself in the bathroom. But he's like, you can't hide from me. I'll always find you. Um, then we see it's 1993, two months after the incident. Lorena is walking into court as uh, Lorena and her talking head explains that it's important to remember she was only 22 years old. She had barely yeah, survived yeah. the abuse. And now she was facing a nightmare. We're going to see her meet with her lawyer. Now, this lawyer's in the documentary, and I'm not going to lie. Like, when you first see the lawyer, you're like, oh, God, this guy looks like he came off of, like, you know, a commercial or something. He looks very cheesy. But this man wound up being a massive advocate for her. He was really great for her. And... um there's a lot of special details about how this was handled in the courts in that documentary. And I would recommend anyone check it out. It's just, it was um, one of those things where like just watching the first hour of it, I had to sit and watch all three parts right after. Cause it was just so good. Um, here's a scene 44, 18 to 46 Oh five. Okay. We got some less than positive news today. The district attorney's office has decided that John should only be charged with marital sexual assault. But he raped me. Well, Virginia law states that the charge of rape can only be applied to couples who aren't living together at the time of the incident or when there is serious physical injury to the victim, which is you. Neither of those elements apply here. So the law says that my husband can rape me as long as he doesn't beat me up? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, that's how the statute's currently written. How is that fair? He was abusing me. I was just protecting myself. And we're going to hammer that really hard at your trial. Lorena, right now, we need to pay attention to John's case. The evidence they lay out, how they, they spin his side of the story. What happens if they say I'm guilty? You have to understand that this charge of malicious wounding is a serious one. If you stand trial and are found guilty, you could be looking at 20 years in prison. that I was the only woman perhaps in the world that was going through this type of abuse and uh, I was ashamed. It's like living with a stranger that you don't know how bad he's going to react. Okay. So this is like the scene. Right. That's coming up. So it's 1991, two years before the incident and John is watching TV in the dark in the living room. And Lorena peeks her head out of the bedroom to say that it's 3 a.m. and she needs to get some sleep. And he goes, I'll get right on it in a fuck you kind of way. Like a kind of way. He doesn't even make eye contact, which would really piss me off. Yeah, I'm angered. I'm angered. So angered. And then so she's like, please, I, you know, I have to get up for work in three hours. And he's clearly watching pornography on the TV. 
and Lorena's absolutely Which is so creepy even though like I know there was really no alternative they didn't have laptops at that time but like that's crazy as hell like you're really watching porn on the TV bro like wow <laughs> I right exactly it's like at least be humble and like take a small TV out to the garage you know like have but some again, again right? he's a broke boy he only has one TV okay all right so she's like, is this why you bought the big satellite dish to watch stuff like this? <laughs> He's like, well, if I can't get it at home, I'm going to watch it on TV. Um, that's crazy that he went out and bought a big satellite dish to watch TV porn. I mean, I know that's what happened at the time, but it's like so loserish to me. It really is. It really is. And all you have to do is just be nicer to your wife. And you can have all kinds of sex all the time. But you're you. He, I really believe he has a personality disorder. I mean, I didn't go to school for it, but I, I, you know. Oh, I think for sure he has a personality disorder. I mean, one thing that I'm glad the documentary didn't do was like pay too much credence to his background. They did touch on a little bit of like John growing up poor. But of course, it, you know, it was very racist what he was saying. He basically was saying that his family was poor and they lived in an all black neighborhood and his family was the only white family. So like he and his buddies would get beat up by black kids all the time. And like that put it like, you know, put some sort of fighting spirit in him from a young age. And like this guy is someone that, you know, he can't, it's like, he's so thick headed that like you can tell he's trying his hardest to not sound racist when he talks, but it's so inherently part of him that it just mm-hmm. comes out. Like, I mean, you're sitting here for a Jordan Peele produced documentary, trying your fucking best to be racist. And you're still referring to like Lorena as a foreigner and blaming black kids for why you beat your wife as an adult. It's just like, so he's such a dumb tortured soul and uh, yeah i am not qualified he's not from good stock he's not from good stock let's just be real yeah it's like those are the genes that definitely did not need to be duplicated and um yeah i uh i definitely you know i you almost have to feel for someone when they're so handicapped by their own narcissism it's like what a waste of a life you know like that's actually kind of really sad that he's a whole human life and he's just bad. Like he's just a bad seed. Word up. So she's like confused by him saying that they don't have sex because apparently they have sex all the time. And he says that she just lays there like a dead fish. And Lorena's very hurt by this. Oh, and yeah, she- she's appalled by that. And then she says, well, by the way, and I, I, Oof, it's so hard not to take an argument, like to turn an argument this way. She's like, oh, by the way, I went to the bank today and I saw you took out all the money from the account. And he's like, what's wrong with that? And uh, like, oh, are you spying on me now, too? And she asks him why he needed the money in the first place. And he says he needed tools for his car. She doesn't believe him. She works hard. She slaves away. She coupons. She buys her clothes from the Goodwill. And he goes, yeah, trust me, I can tell. I mean, God forbid you put a little effort into it and try and look sexy for me. So in real life, this is the truth that Lorena stole $7,000 from Jana. 
when she was working oh, for right. her. Yeah, so that she yeah. Did, you know, but then also she stole from Nordstrom because she wanted to have outfits so she could look nice for John. Which, like, I don't think that was in her character at all. I think she was desperate and she didn't have another way to do it without it being, you know, obvious or another huge expense to her. I think that she felt like she had to do those things. Um, Like the Nordstrom's I support, like, you know, I support um, stealing from big corporations, but not from Jana. Like that was kind of that was kind of dubious, but I guess I can forgive it. She's going through a lot. Yeah, it's interesting because they didn't say whether or not she and Jana were still close. And if I think if they're not close, it probably wouldn't be about the seven thousand dollars because Jana was there for her through all of it. And let's face it, I, th- I don't think Jana missed the money. Yeah, seven um, K is not really that much like in the big scheme of things, I guess. Not when you own three salons. I mean, she probably figured out a way to do it. Right. So, you know, Lorena says that from her point of view, he's just blowing all the money on toys, the satellite. He's got this gas guzzling car. He drives. He doesn't even have a job. There's no food in the house. And he says, judging by the size of your ass, you can afford to skip a few meals. I love that. Um, That's always been funny to me about how, like, you know, like, I always used to hear stuff like that on TV when I was younger, like white guys talking about how big people's asses were and how, and now like we worship fat asses. Like if you don't have a fat ass, who are you? Who are you in this world? It's true. As a person with a criminally flat ass, like literally when God (laughs) me, God was like, unfortunately we're going to give you a lot, but we're not going to give you an ass girl. Unfortunately, that's not in the cards for you. And I'll tell you, yes, when I was like, you know, in the early 2000s, when I weighed literally 96 pounds at 5'8", I was so like, you know, I just wanted that, you know, Paris Hilton bone thin look. Not having an ass and not having tits was great for clothing uh, because, you know, you could just put on anything. Right. But it is is not aged well over time. Not having an ass. Yeah, definitely. I know. No ass, especially, you know, in the black community. It's really hard to be a black woman with no ass. You know what I mean? Like, it's really, really it's messed up for my uh, my uh, my mental health. So, you know, anybody out there that wants to uh, contribute to my BBL uh, cash app is going to be a uh, dollar sign. <laughs> La Ray, you know what I mean? Like get me out of this mental hell, please. <laughs> Dude, if our listeners buy you a Brazilian butt lift, I really do hope that you guys are subscribed to the Patreon as well. But that's <laughs> That said, I am I am hoping that that happens for you. Just go do it safely. Now, this is the one thing I'm seeing everyone these days. All the people on social media are going and getting their surgeries done in Tijuana. And I'm like, maybe I like could do a couple weeks in TJ, you know, laid up at the hospital. That totally scares me. No, 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 no. That really scares me. I'm not going to go to a place where uh, people go. Uh, for college spring break to get my <laughs> right <laughs> body done. You know what I mean? Like that's scary. Right. So I actually thought when I moved to Atlanta, like it came with complimentary ass, you know what I mean? Like I thought that, but yeah, you would apparently think, no. Mm-mm. 
So um, she asked him to turn off the TV again and he shushes her and she's like, listen, you know, he's like, he's like, you're making me miss the good part. And you can just hear like this woman like moaning on the TV. It's just so <laughs> trashy. Oh, God, it, it would just I would be so demoralized after that. So she shuts off the TV and goes back into the bedroom and John is fuming in his chair in the dark. And Lorraine is just about to make it back into bed. When John tackles her, they start fighting and you can see through the window that like Don is approaching and she's struggling to get away from him. She's on the bedroom floor. There's probably carpet burn all over her body, you know, based Mm -hmm. off of how she's trying to get away from him. And he starts to rape her and she cries for him to stop. But he says it's so much better this way. And we just see her like gripping the carpet and crying. And we cut to John walking away from her. She's still on the floor on the side of the bed. And we hear Lorena and her talking head say that she can't describe the psychological and emotional abuse she experienced at the hands of her abuser. She felt like a hostage in her own home. It's so scary, man. Like, like, like he's actually he enjoys that. Like, he likes that. The struggle of that. That is scary. That's That is scary stuff, for real. The only good thing about the way John was, was that was something he was very proud of. So a lot of his, like, guys that he thought were his buddies wound up turning on him in court and coming out for Lorena's side because... John was very vocal about how he liked to force women to have sex. It was more interesting for him when they were in pain and when they were squirming. And, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of these guys like really came out and stood up for Lorena, which, you know, probably wasn't the popular thing to do as a young man at the time. You know, it was probably a lot easier to let him get away with something like this and, you know, not be a guy that's like selling out other guys. But, You know, a lot of this is, uh, you know, with domestic abuse and domestic violence, that's something that's relatable for a lot of people. And a lot of people who had seen their moms get hurt or someone close to them, they just weren't going to entertain John's shit. And it speaks volumes to how much like abuse affects generations of people because there was multiple people in the documentary who said that they came to Lorena's defense because they saw their mom in that position or a cab driver who gave a Latina woman a drive uh, from the bus stop to the courthouse so that she could go out and stand up for Lorena. And he said that she didn't have to. She's like, don't worry about the drive. I'll, I'll take care of it. He goes, my mom was abused, so I'm happy to drive you there. And it's just like when you when you think about that, it's. Uh, I I found that to be pretty profound. So Lorena goes to Mercedes, uh, who was her chaperone, as as you might remember, the one who John also says is a fat ass and um, Mrs. Castro's daughter, basically. And she's saying that she thought that this was going to stop, but it keeps getting worse. And now he took her green card and papers. He went back to New York for a while and he says that immigration is going to come and throw her out of the country. And Mercedes is just deeply concerned. And We see both of them in the bathroom and Lorena takes her shirt off so Mercedes can take Polaroids of her her bruises. And in her talking head, Lorena explains that John constantly threatened her status in the country, even even though her visa had nothing to do with him. And he used it as another means to control her. 
the bruises on Lorena are really substantial. And Mercedes tells her that she's going to send the photos to INS. That way she can be listed as seeking asylum and get her permanent green card. And she tells her that John says that they won't believe her. But Mercedes says that the photos are pretty convincing. So Lorena says in her talking head that Mercedes sent the pictures, but they never got a response. And, you know, that's just like another sort of crushing blow. Right. That like this whole service is in place so that if they get something like this, they can do something. And just how many people must slip through the cracks, you know? So 1993, five months after the incident, there's a mob outside the courthouse. And this is for John's trial, which was first. And it was very much, you know, he was a media darling at that point and was greeted like a celebrity by crowds of people. And he took, you know, he took to getting to that kind of praise like a fish to water. He loved his celebrity moment. Mm -hmm. And as the case begins, um, you know, we're going to we're going to hear the verdict, uh, actually. And then the jurors, as they're interviewed after 5053 to 5118. The is free to go. The jury was persuaded by Mr. Bobbitt's lawyer that the case was too circumstantial. We couldn't rely on Mrs. Bobbitt's worry alone. If someone had heard her scream, or there had been some sort of bruising, that would be more substantive evidence. So the frustrating thing about this case is that in Virginia, when it comes to marital sexual assault, the jury can only consider the five days previous uh prior to the incident right so Mm. if it happened on a tuesday you would only be able to go back to like you know thursday or something and um you know with that being the case not all of the whole body of what he had done to her couldn't be taken into account and you know As we all know, like sometimes something can happen for a really long time over a prolonged period of time. But in in the most direct closest window to the crime, you know, sometimes sometimes these abusers, they take days off. They take weeks off, you know, and all of that builds up and then leads to this next attack. Right. And I think that's very much what happened here. So. There's some messed up laws. Uh, Sorry to cut you off, but. You know, um, in regards to sex in uh, Virginia, there's actually like I remember people talking about that, like when I was a kid. So I was like looking it up and actually like as far as like sex goes, it's a very conservative state. And actually up until the year 2013, technically oral and anal sex were illegal. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. I was thinking that, too, like, wouldn't he also be charged for sodomy? But I guess right. they might not be able to tie that to a specific incident. But at least within five days. Right. Yeah. Because, well, like, yeah. Yeah. I guess like she would have had to have located it to to they could only count when she did her act. So it came down to like that night. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jana gets home to like this media frenzy 
on her front lawn and she tells the press to get lost. She's like, get a life. And she shuts the door and goes inside. (laughs) And you see little Lorena. She's wrapped up in her covers in a spare bedroom there. And she's like, you know, she can't even retreat to television because she her story is just everywhere she goes. And Jana comes in to check in on her. um, 5139 to 5258. City of Manassas, Virginia, John Bobbitt was found not guilty of sexually assaulting his wife. Lorena now faces a charge of malicious wounding and could get up to 20 years. The Washington Post reported Friday that... It doesn't make any sense. He admitted he hit me. How can the jury take his side? Such bullshit. Sweetie, you gotta eat something. I can't. All the press up there. Hugging their hordes. Banging on the door. I can't sleep. I'm having nightmares. Don't let them win. Your trial starts in a month. You need to stay healthy so that you can fight back and and prove your innocence. Oh my God, if they took his side, they're not going to believe me. Am I going to go to prison? All right, I mean, Janet doesn't even know what to say to that. I mean, she is facing 20 years. He is. And I, but I do have to say, I've watched a lot of jail shows and I have to say, like, if Lorena would have had to go to prison, she would have been so popular in prison. Like, she would have been a prison darling. Like, people would have loved her. And, like, not even, like, you're my bitch way. Like, she would have been, like, somebody's protected child in in prison. She would have been fine. But, hey, I mean, who wants to go to prison? You know what I mean? I totally agree with you. She would be, like, Totally. She's like the little sister. Everyone want to watch out for her. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm watching a movie, a fictionalized portrayal of her. And I like want to reach through the screen and like wipe her tears away and be like, it's going to be OK. Do you want me to like make you a snack? Are you all right? Like she's just like she's so sweet. And you know what is always great in, in any sort of prison ecosystem is someone who's helpful. People love, you know, Lorena would keep herself so clean. You know, she'd be really good at like putting together those meals. She'd be really good with a spread. Like, I think Lorena gets it. Yeah, she would have been like, you know, like putting people's laundry underneath her mattress to like get a nice, clean, crisp uh, crease. You know what I mean? Like she she would know what to do. She's very domestic. She would have did great in prison. So 1993, five months after the incident, Lorena's lawyer tells her that John's acquittal isn't great for the case. And he needed to add Miss Kemmler, this female attorney, to the team. And basically, he wants Lorena to listen and keep an open mind. They come up with an idea to introduce battered women syndrome to part of her defense. And Kemmler warns her that it will be risky. It's only been used in court a couple times in a viable defense. And Lorena is fine with that if it helps. And then the other lawyer tells her that they also want her to plead irresistible impulse. And they would argue that she couldn't control her actions as a result of a mental disorder. It's basically a form of an insanity plea. 
And Lorena, Lorena says like she's not crazy. And her lawyer's like, yeah, I mean, we don't think you are crazy, but you already confessed to the police. So there's that. Like, there's no way that we can create some sort of plausible deniability, which I would love to know if she hadn't confessed to the police. Would they have tried to pin this on Robbie? <laughs> Like, would they have been like, no, you're like, no, your honor. It's entirely possible that Robbie cut his dick off. Like, cause like, yes, she confessed, but like, really, how could you deny that she did this either way? You know, that would be like lawyer of the century shit. That's on some Johnny Cochran shit. So Lorena says she's not, you know, she's ready to take responsibility for whatever it is she does. And Kemler tells her that that means they need to find a legal answer to her situation. Her attorney tells her that he's going to put her on the stand so that she can tell her firsthand account. And she's kind of shocked that like she would be asked to tell this story in front of everyone. She doesn't know if she can do that, which like I feel you on that. Like I felt sick for her, like, you know, even having to say like, you know, like I was anally raped, like to say that it's like it shouldn't be humiliating, but it's humiliating to the soul. You know what I mean? It's just something. Especially the fact that it wasn't a stranger. You know what I mean? I think it's more shameful that, not that it should be shameful, but I think it carries more shame that like you love this person, like a person that you love did this to you. Like, yeah, that's hella, like that would be so traumatic to say in front of hella people. And there's also people are so judgmental, right? Like there's also going to be people out there that are like, oh, like I sincerely doubt she never consensually had anal sex with her husband. Like, why would he even do that if that wasn't something she was into? And, you know, like probably like, you know, giggling and like making jokes about how she's kinky and like all that stuff when like this is just like, honestly, this is like to me, I feel like this is like if this happened to like a little girl, like she's just like so young and naive. So So 1992, nine months before the incident, it's been a year since she's spoken to or seen John and she's putting on her shoes at Mrs. Castro's house on her way out the door. She seems like she's in a rush. She opens the door and John is there and she's like, I don't want to talk to you right now. What are you even doing here? And he says that he spoke to his family priest and some older married couples and drove there overnight after thinking about what he wants. He wants to make it work with her. And she's like, well, that can't erase everything you've done. And he's like, no, things will be different. And she's like, well, I'll consider this if you promise you're never going to hurt me again. And John tells her that he's going to quit drinking. He's going to get recommitted to making the marriage work. He tells her that it's his um, on his honor as a Marine and that nothing violent will ever happen again. And I she rolled t- my eyes so hard at that. I know because like she takes it seriously like she nods like oh I mean yeah if he's doing his on his honor as as a marine of course yeah <laughs> like his honor as a marine has stopped him from doing anything up to this point I know it's like it's tough because like I do have so much respect for people who have served our country but when it comes down to like that sort of stuff I'm like You know, we always talk about like, oh, if it's like the civil, you know, if we have like a civil war again, right, like the Marines are going to be on the side of the people because the Marines don't want anything bad to happen on American land. Like the Marine aren't the Marines aren't going to go work with the Proud Boys or whatever. Right. But Mm -hmm. I'm like, but if John Bobbitt was a Marine at 
like right now, I feel like he would 100% be like proud boys. What's up? I'm one of you. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely do also respect the military and, and military personnel, but I do think that it's a little, did you grow did you grow up around military people? Um, I, my grandfather served, my grandfather served and my uncle, uh, was in the Marines. And then, um, I grew up next to, um, a town called Bedford, Massachusetts, where they had Hanscom air force base. Like it was right between Lexington and Bedford to like the point where like on nine 11, um, they didn't want to take us out of school in case people got like had to go home closer to Hanscom Air Force Base because they were like Hanscom right. a target. Gotcha. Yeah. OK. I mean, I just grew up like in 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 when I was like 18 and stuff was like dating military guys because, you know, they had cars and all of that stuff. But I just kind of think they're you know, there's like a culture of, you know, kind of playboys and you know i'm not i'm definitely not putting like domestic abuse on them but i just kind of never whenever i would date a military guy it wasn't nothing that i took serious you know I love that about you. First of all, I think you have a lot more um, military experience than I do by a far stretch. But I I will tell you, I love that you've always known what you wanted. You're like, I'm going to date a guy because he has a car. I might marry this man for a thousand dollars a month. Like, I respect you so much for that. Like, I never watched out for myself like that. Like, I was always dating like, you know, yeah, there was certain, you know, like my high school boyfriend had a car and that definitely made him much more attractive to me. But I don't think I ever had my own back like that. No way. Um, (laughs) So in her talking head, Lorena says that people asked her why she went back to him. And she said it's difficult to explain who and what she was back then. She was a 22 year old Catholic virgin when she met him. She believed she believed in marriage. And when he came back, she asked herself, what if he had changed and didn't she owe it to her marriage to find out? So, I mean, that's a whole thing, too. It's like just the idea of I think that's gotten lost a lot in society for probably better than for worse that like marriage is like a whole ass thing. Marriage isn't like, you know, something I mean, I live in California where I feel like people kind of just skip off and like get married if if they feel like it. But, I, you know, I I kind of forget how much of like a like a like a sacred union marriage is to so many people, so many different cultures and like what it really means, you know? Yeah, definitely. I agree. Yeah, because I, I just. I mean, not that, well, I mean, I guess I do take marriage pretty seriously and that's why I've never been married. You know what I mean? Like, Same. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I mean, I think at this point, I just, I don't want to legally have to give anyone my money ever. And like, you know, I have a small house that I, I mostly own at this point. And it's like, I don't want to open myself up to that vulnerability. Like no man is ever taking my fucking house. Yeah. I feel you on that. I feel you on that. And it's like, you know, honestly, as a woman, if I don't really have anything to gain from the marriage, then I just don't really see the point. 
Right. Like I definitely would let some man pay for my life, but like, right. I'm not. Yeah. Like but I'm I actually, not for yours. It's not going to happen. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, I need to be in one of those relationships where they either expect nothing from me or they expect nothing from me and they want to give me the world. And that's it. That's all I'm interested in. So and you know what? That's what I love about you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I am sort of hoping uh, that the next round of good guys are getting their divorces soon and I'll be able to net, you know, some lawyer or something that is looking for less maintenance in his second marriage, but still willing to be financially generous. Um, We see Lorena walking up the stairs to her apartment with the groceries as John's talking to this girl down the hallway with a silk nightgown on. And basically this is just sort of showing how, you know, John was kind of flirting right in front of her. And she was like, basically the, you know, she was the task rabbit of the house. Like she's carrying these groceries up the stairs. Like she's a freaking Instacart worker and her husband's down the hallway, this jobless loser flirting with the new girl who moved into the building And we hear Lorena say, um, of course, now I know that the cycle of now I know the cycle of abuse, hoping it will get better when we know it won't. So John comes home. I went berserk, bro. I would have went berserk if I would have saw that. Like, are you for real? And like you said, you got me. You got me carrying a 32 pack of water of four flights of stairs. Are you kidding me? But by the way, I did want to say that I do work. Um, I do do a grocery delivery service and I need you guys to understand that $5 that you tip the pizza guy is not the same that you tip the person that's bringing 32 bottles of water up three flights of stairs. I just have to put that out there. So I know a lot of your listeners probably do use a grocery um, service and I just need you guys to understand you have to tip more or we're going to start bringing broken things to your house. And that's all. 20 to 25%. That's like my automatic set on my grocery ordering app. No way. No way am I giving someone $5 because especially on the app I use, like they send you pictures in real time and like, they're like, is this okay? Is this a good, good replacement? And like, I think it's important to not only, and let me know if you agree or disagree. Cause I, I would like to know if I'm doing it wrong. Um, when those people text me about like substitutions or whatever, I talk to them like people like I'm not just like, yes or no. Like I'm like, girl, get whatever you want. Or like if they're like, (laughs) you know, get what you would get if you were me or like if they're like, we have the wrong kind of cat food. I'm like, my cat's fat. Just bring him whatever. He'll eat it. Like I try to keep it very real because like you have to remember, these are people that are touching the most intimate things that you do, which is shit you put in your body. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's it's uh, you got to talk to people like people. But I agree. I um, you got to tip 20 percent on on groceries minimum, I think. However, I will say this. If I Postmates liquor, like if I order like, a, you know, a handle of vodka and a couple bottles of wine for like people coming over, I'm going to tip like five or six bucks on that. I'm not going to tip 20% of liquor because liquor's fucking expensive. 
And it wasn't even that hard to find it. Like, that's the thing. It's about the labor that goes into it. Because like you said, you got to text people and be like, oh, like, they don't have, like, shrimp ramen, but they do have <laughs> chicken. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's a lot. And, like, at the end of the day, I don't give a fuck. Like, I don't care, really. You know what I mean? But I understand I'm doing this service for you, so I'm going to ask. But it is labor intensive. So, like, yeah, it's like you're, you're just paying for my time. You know what I mean? But, yeah, if you're just going to get some liquor, like, okay, whatever. That's not a big deal. Especially right now, it. you're putting your life on the line to go do what people. There's a reason why they're not. Do. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's most truly people are essential. Cool, most essential. People are cool. I'm not even going to lie. Shout out to Atlanta because most of these people are hella cool. And the people that tip the most, they whenever you go to their house, they always have a Biden sign in their uh, in their in their yard. So, I mean, <laughs> enough said. Yeah. So John comes home one day with his boy, Robbie, who's his friend uh, from back in New York. And he's this is the Robbie that's that's there the night of the incident. So this is we're ramping up to it. And Lorena's carrying in blankets to make up the couch for him. And she greets him really warmly. Fifty eight oh four to one hour and five seconds. Robbie, nice to see you. again. I told John I wouldn't get in the way. I'll make up the couch. It's not very comfortable, but it should do for a couple of weeks. John, can you go grab the extra uh, sheets, please? Oh, we're just going to the hardware store to get some plywood. What for? Uh, building a petition so Robbie could have his own room. I thought you said it was just for a couple of weeks. Dude, you said it was cool that I could live with you guys. What happened to working on our marriage? We're doing that, baby. With Robbie here? I, I don't have money for my own place, man. Hey, don't worry about it. Lorena's just being bitchy. Dude, seriously? I'm cool. You happy now? You made him leave. Is he going to pay the rent? Buy food? Pay the electric? This doesn't stop with you, does it? Just nag, nag, nag. At least Robbie can leave. So can I. Where do you think you're going? Away from you. It's been six months since you came back. You don't have a job. You flirt with other girls right under my nose. You started drinking again. And you'd rather hang out with your friends than spend time with me in this marriage. I'm done. I want a divorce. You're divorcing me. Doesn't matter if we're divorced or separated. You know, I can find you and I can screw you whenever I want. Never mind, Lorena. All right, can we just talk about what kind of man always needs to have his little buddy sleeping over the house? Literally has the fucking nerve to tell his wife he's going to put in a plywood wall in his house so his friend can have his own room and not even tell her like what like yo are you kidding me like Dude, but you know, this is where I have to give it up to Lorena. Like, yo, she stood her ground a lot. Like, 
despite getting, you know, physically abused so much, she would stand up for herself, though, and be like, dude, are you kidding me? But look, when Robbie said, when Robbie said uncool, I couldn't tell if he was talking about the way he was talking to Lorena or if he was talking about the fact that he told him he could move in and now he can't move in. Oh, twins. I, I had no fucking idea where he was coming from on that one. Cause like, cause part of him, cause when he, he goes like, Oh, Lorena's just being a bitch. Uh, Robbie's like, Whoa, man. Like, and you don't know if why it is. And then when he says uncool, but we all know Robbie is not an allies, but at the same time, like literally think about it. I mean, it's always been very important to me how my boyfriends treat my friends. I, it's, it's like, it's so it's so important to me. Like you better treat my friends like gold because before you met me, they were what kept me afloat, you know? So my friends mm-hmm. are very important to me in a relationship. That said, unless a, f- a friend of mine or their, you know, my significant other's friend, unless they were escaping some sort of domestic violence abuse themselves, I would under no circumstances put up a fake wall in my living room. That is like, that is truly insane. That's broke shit to like, when you're putting in fake rooms, that's sad. So, um, Lorena gasps for a breath as John leaves the apartment and we see she's at Jana's house now to get some comfort. And she brings Lorena a cup of tea and Lorena thanks her for letting her come over. And Jana's like, what is going on girl? And she says, just things are, not going well our marriage is over Jana offers to let her stay there but Lorena says that John knows where she lives and might hurt her too and Jana's like I'd like to see him try I love that part (laughs) and you know she means it she probably has like a pink glock you know what I'm saying like she will kill somebody I was thinking the same thing I was like I just know that she has like a gun full like a drawer full of guns under her bed like it's like it's like half half of it is dildos and the other half is guns yes she lifts up that mattress there's like (laughs) illegal weapons in there there's fucking nunchucks she's got dildos she's got (laughs) brand and cash probably got some coke in there like Jana goes Jana goes crazy so um she, you know, John watches every move she makes. She feels like he stalks her and Jana has an idea. And then we see that Lorena's, you know, she explains in her talking head that back then there was no national hotline for abused women to call. There wasn't any funding for shelters. The violence against women law wouldn't be passed until the following year for women in her situation at the time. The only thing to do was to take desperate measures to protect themselves. So Lorena comes home. And John's at the apartment. She's like, oh, I thought you were going out with Robbie. And John's like, yeah, I am. Robbie's just waiting in the car. And he goes, oh, shit, I forgot my wallet. So he goes to her purse, helps himself to her purse. My biggest trigger. And in there he finds a tape recorder. Now, I would have cut his dick off just for looking in my purse. Don't. Now, let me tell you this. I don't know. You you seem to... Uh, one thing about Black women, if you touch their purse, they will literally kill you. Like, that is a big no-no. You do not touch the purse. You don't look at the purse. No. Don't ever touch a woman's purse. What are you doing? But he has no respect for it, so we've come to expect that type of sh- shenanigans from this man. No, I was raised that way, too. Like, I feared my mother's purse. Like, I just was like, 
I'm like, I'll sit on the couch with it, but I'm not going to look at it. Like, and you know, it it was, I think it was a good fear to instill in me. I think it was probably so that like, you know, I was never that kid who stole $5 from their mom's wallet, by the way, shout out to those rebels. Like I'm so surprised any of you are still living amongst us because I can't even, I, I got caught stealing quarters from the change jar once. Okay, I did that. I did that. Yes. Oh my God. You would have think my mom found stacks of like human bodies in my closet. My mom went fucking crazy on me. And the worst part was, is I think I stole it for like Chinese food because she was working and I like stole the Chinese. <laughs> I stole it to buy a, like a wonton soup or something. And like looking back, I should probably call her up and be like, hey, bitch, I wanted a snack and you were working all the time. OK, just let me have. Right. I was home alone. I was a, I was. A, what do they call it? A lock key kid. Like, come on, yeah. man. Yeah. So he plays back the tape on the tape recorder and he hears himself berating her and he realizes like, oh, shit, she's basically been recording all of this. And he mm-hmm. demands to know why he's being recorded and just throws her up against the wall. And then Robbie comes in and tells him to hurry up so they don't miss happy hour. Um, and John tells her that she'll pay for this later. And he slams his hand against the wall. So. Lorena pulls her car up to the county clerk's office. And this is another just like one of the really frustrating moments of her going in to handle a very sensitive issue and her being handled very poorly. I thought the actress did a really great job in the scene in the car. It's just like one of those brief moments where she was just in her car alone, nervous before she went in and did this. And she just looked so young and sweet. Like she just like everything about her was clear. So 104, 21 to 106, 43. We're wrapping it up soon, guys. And about how many times would you say your husband's hit you? Five, ten, more. What else has your husband done? I, I don't. Uh, he's private. If you want to file this petition, Mrs. Bobbitt, you're going to have to tell me what your husband's done. Please, you don't understand. This is very difficult for me. Yes, but we need to know the details for the official record. to need to appear in front of a judge to file the official petition? No. After this gets typed up. Problem is my secretary's at lunch, so come back this afternoon and she can walk you through the rest of it. You mean I, I have to say this 
personal things again. If you want to file this petition, you do. She gets back at one. I can't do that. My job. What about after work? I have to go home. I wonder where I am. I don't know what to tell you, Mrs. Bobbitt. Without the petition, we can't process the order of protection. What would you like to do? God, I mean, this is so frustrating. He's like, God, lady, my secretary's out. Like, how many times were you anally raped or what? Like, like, (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ, dude. I have to say that I I love and hate this guy so much because it's like, I love his commitment to his character, but I hate how good of an actor he is because I truly hate him. I If I saw this man on the street, I would have to hold myself back from becoming physical with him. He did too good of a job. You're right. You're so exactly fucking right with that dude because he's a good actor. And sometimes in these movies, it's so rare to see someone that has like such a compelling performance for someone who has like, you know, 10 lines or something. He has the chops, truly. Yeah, he made me hate him in five seconds. So... Lorraine is at work holding back tears while she does her manicure and she hears her coworker be like, oh, John. And she thinks it's, uh, you know, her husband, but it's just her coworker greeting some other man named John. And Lorena jumps and cuts the finger of a woman whose nails she's working on. And the woman's like, what is wrong with you? And Lorena hurries into the back to get her some anti- antiseptic. And we see her just sobbing and sobbing back there. So then 1993, six months after the incident, Lorena's pacing in her lawyer's office when her attorney comes back with some good news. She's been offered a plea deal. And if she admits her actions were premeditated, she'll only have to serve four months in prison. And she declines because, you know, they're telling her it's a great deal. But she says she married John because she loved him. And even though he hurt her over and over again, she thought he could change, but he didn't. And then he went to court and he lied. Now it's her turn to tell the judge what really happened. We see all the news outlets outside of the court, along with crowds of people supporting Lorena. And, you know, at this point, John had really been showing his ass in public, um, you know, not just like the Howard Stern thing, but he was really ramping up. And I don't think he had done the porn yet because like he went on to do a porn. Um, he went on to do like a big reveal of his, you know, new dick. John, John is wild. Like John went so far as to wind up working at the Bunny Ranch, which is that famed brothel in Nevada that. You may commonly know just in the more recent years as the place where Lamar Odom had that terrible overdose situation. Right. Yeah. But that place is the airport for Amy, though. She's a real bitch. I fuck with her. (laughs) But uh, me too. But um, no, like, uh, you know, there's a, a great documentary with Louis Theroux, who's a news presenter and documentarian in the UK. And he did a whole Thing at the bunny ranch where he spent like a weekend there and um it's great 
It's like I didn't know about that. I'm gonna have to check that out. I love you. You will love it because there's so many like genuinely funny moments in it. I know it is. (laughs) Yeah, it's also really it's also like really profound. Um, it's one of like the many reasons like why I truly think um some of the best people on this planet are sex workers. Like I just know they are. Like I just know. I know it. Um, so let's cut to the prosecution in court. One hundred nine fourteen to one ten twelve. This is a case about anger, about revenge, about retribution. Mrs. Bobbitt's husband came home, he was drunk, he wanted to have sex, and she didn't. And that is her right. So, he forced her to have sex, and she was angry, and she retaliated against him. But you know, folks, We don't live in a society that is governed by revenge. We live in a society of law. And after you've heard all the evidence, I'm confident that you will believe that there was no justification for her taking the law into her own hands, for her maiming her husband, and you will have no choice but to find her guilty. Okay, so one thing to note is that in these court cases, which always scares me, just like even thinking about being in a position like this myself, is that, you know, John was allowed to be in the court and it seems fucked up that she's like literally feet away from her abuser while all this is happening. Yeah, I feel like they shouldn't have allowed him in there, like. I mean, they had control over letting him in there, but that just goes to show, man, how far we've come as a society. Because I feel like nowadays that he, if he needed to be a witness, he could be a witness. But I don't think they would just let him sit in the court and just observe like that. No, I don't know. But like also, you know, this was a televised case. This was one of the few, you know, the judge allowed it for it to happen, for it to be a televised case, which almost seems like a little bit beyond fucked up considering this is like, you know, it's not like Jodi Arias or, you know, even Casey Anthony or something like this is about a woman being serial, serially raped and abused by her husband. It feels like that's not really TV material. Yeah, I, I don't think so either, but hey, I don't know. I, I don't know, man. What was he thinking about that? But I do think this. The prosecutor really thought this case was way stronger than what it was. Like, that speech was really, like, hopeful. Well, because, like, you know, the prosecutor for John or for Lorena was the same prosecutor as the one who did John. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy, too? It is crazy. And like, it turns out that that lawyer, like I did not like him at the beginning of the documentary at all. Like I was like, oh, he's going to be a scumbag. Um, But, you know, he's he's one of the many reasons why she wound up getting the justice she deserved in this case. So Lorena's attorneys are in their office when Lorena says she doesn't know if she can testify. John is still her husband and he's in that room every day watching her and she's afraid he'll jump over the rail and hurt her right in front of everyone. And they're like, don't worry, John's about to get his. So this is the best part of the movie in my mind. This is when we get to see his dumb ass out on the stand. And every Mm -hmm. single thing he says is about to be 
blown up. 111.04 to 112.2. On the night of the incident, you went out with your friend Robbie and you had at least five beers, is that right? Correct. And approximately two B-52s? It wasn't approximately, it was exactly two. Thank you for clarifying that. Did you feel any effects of the alcohol at all? No, none whatsoever. How would you characterize your state after drinking that night? I was drunk. We were drunk. Do you remember when Officer Francis stopped by your first apartment? Yes, he just knocked on the door, asked if everything was all right, and he just left. And you were drinking very heavily on that occasion, weren't you, Mr. Bobbitt? No. Yeah, he'd definitely been drinking. I could smell it on his breath. And you've already told us that you simply never hit your wife. Right. Tell me about your trip to Ocean City. He was hitting her and punching her and pulling her hair. The jury won't give anything he says credibility now. Beautiful. You love to see Ooh, it. You love to fucking see it. Oh, man. <laughs> I, that, you know what? That got me hard. Like, that made me so hard. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. It was great because especially after, you know, he made it so smoothly through his own trial, um, you know, unfortunately, the only justice that John received is just from the universe. He received a lot of karmic uh, justice, I would say, mm -hmm. but, you know. It was uh, it was nice to see it happen. It was nice to see it all fall apart. So in her talking head, Lorena says that John's trial was only three days, but hers was 12. And as the days went on, she kept thinking that the jury thought she was guilty. And because the judge allowed cameras in the courtroom, the entire world heard most of the most personal and intimate details of her life. She felt completely naked. Um, guys, sorry, another long clip, but I I want to include it all. I mean, I thought this movie was great. So this is 113.05 to 116.28. This is Lorraine on the stand. Did you and John ever engage in anything other than vaginal sex? He did it, sir. I didn't. When did it happen? Uh. We went into the bedroom and he, uh, he grabbed me and he turned me and uh, I was, I was with my stomach down and then he, uh, And then he did it. He 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 have a he have a anal sex. Did he ask you if he could? No, no. Did you give him permission? No, no. Was it forced? Yes, it was. Were you injured? Yes, I... 
What injuries did you sustain? I was bleeding, sir. And did he ever threaten to do it again? Yes, sir. Yes. How frequently? Uh, every time that we would have sex, he would he would threaten me. Okay, Lorena. Okay. Do you have an opinion, Dr. Feister, as to whether Lorena Bobbitt was suffering from any kind of severe mental disease or disorder at the time when she cut off her husband's penis? Yes, she suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, major depressive disorder, and anxiety disorder. What, if anything, did these disorders have to do with her ability to control her impulses? I don't believe she had any control over her actions at that time. She was already experiencing extreme distress. Her husband psychologically closed off every avenue of escape to her because he said to her that it really didn't matter if she left. He would continue to be violent toward her, to rape her to abuse her. This created for her a kind of impasse, a situation that made her crazy. She became psychotic, and at that point in time, she attacked the instrument of her torture. That is her husband's penis. Okay, so, like, the idea that we're even arguing about whether or not this woman was dealing with some sort of, like, mental condition after all of this is just insane to me in 20 mm-hmm. what year is it 2021 it's fucking crazy because like you and i know i mean we we're like over here diagnosing john like i don't even need to like think about what happened to her you know um i thought the most profound word in that whole thing was the instrument of her torture was her husband's oh my treatment. god give this who wrote this i, I feel oh, bad yeah. that I, I don't know who wrote that line because they deserve and Emmy, that was so good. The instrument of torture? Oh, my. Oh, touch I me. think that Seriously. that might have been an actual line from the case. But the writer of this movie is uh, Barbara Nance, who wrote on Blade. She wrote on the X-Files. She did Party of Five, Crossing Jordan. She's a pretty formidable writer. And then the uh, director, Danishka S. Esther Hazy has written um, she did a lot of stuff herself she's done um, Vagrant Queen was a movie she directed of course we know she did I am Lorena Bobbitt I mean she's done quite she's done quite a few TV movies um, as well as uh, as well as TV shows okay so um, the defense asked Lorena to go back to the morning of the incident and she says that John and Robbie were out and she went to sleep around 10. She woke up because she heard the door slam. We see her laying in bed at 3.15 a.m., awoken by his loud footsteps in the hallway. He undresses her, gets into bed next to her. She rolls over on him and tells him to come here. Um, he rolls, sorry, he rolls over onto her and, t- and tells her, you know, come here. And she's like, I just want to sleep. Um, 
but he says that she's his wife. And so he starts to force himself on her. And this is just like a really graphic scene. We don't really need to do the play by play. But long story short, he rapes her and then like just drunkenly rolls off of her. And she asks him, you know, why do you keep doing this to me? And he says, because I can. And in her talking head, Lorena says that she was not in her right frame of mind at that time. After years of of brutality, her mind couldn't handle it anymore. She went blank. She could barely walk. She could barely breathe. She turns on the kitchen sink for a drink of water. And when she puts the glass down, she sees the knife. All of the cruel things he has ever said to her just start going through her mind over and over again. Lorena's attorney addresses the jury and says that to rape a woman isn't just a violation of a body, but it's a direct attack on the emotional structure that holds a woman together. If they believe that that's what she felt when she did that attack, the verdict is not guilty. Physical attacks, sexual abuse, forced abuse and anal abuse. She was falling apart, basically, and she snapped. He says this lady is ill. Every doctor has told you that she's been stripped of all of her dignity. She needs a lot of help. She needs a jury's help with that, their verdict so she can walk out of there with her head up. Um, after the closing statements, Lorena talks to her attorneys in the hall. Um, I don't think we really need to play this scene. I was going to, but essentially, you know, they just tell her that she's really proud of her and that she did everything that she can do. And, you know, They feel, you know, very strongly that she, you know, lived in her truth that day. And they tell her there's something that I want you to see. They bring her over to the window and she sees that she has a massive amount of support. There's so many people out there. But at this point, the Latinx community has come around for her like they stan Lorena. There are people that really like took buses and taxis and carpooled together there was like groups of people that were finding each other i don't think they were doing it online i think they were doing a lot of it through radio but basically like the community came out for her because they were like this isn't gonna happen to a young immigrant woman from our community no way so the verdict comes in and before it's read her attorney tells her that she did what she had to do and uh to never forget that the jury uh, brings the verdict. Uh, to, they bring the j- verdict to the judge. He asked the jury to read it. Not guilty by reason of temporary insanity. Lorena asks if that's good, and they tell her that she's free. And uh, Lorena, in her uh, talking head, says that in the beginning she would ask, "Why me?" But now she sees that it all it happened to all women who are all abused. It's not she's not in the fight by herself. She's in it for all women who have ever or will ever be victimized to all the survivors of domestic abuse. Silence is not an option. They're there and they believe in you and they will never stop fighting for you. So Lorena is sworn in as a legal citizen. We get a nice little scene of her finally getting, uh, you know, her full legal citizenship. She hugs her friends who are in the room and a text comes up on the screen that says Lorena Gallo has dedicated her life to helping other survivors. She created the Lorena Gallo Foundation, which works with the community groups to prevent domestic violence and sexual assault. She continues to live in Virginia with her family. Then it says, if you or someone you know is experiencing domestic abuse, call 911 or the National Domestic Violence Hotline, 1-800-799-SAFE or visit thehotline.org. 
And then we finally get a little update on John that says John Wayne Bobbitt was acquitted on the charge of marital sexual assault. He and Lorena divorced in 1995. And that's the movie. Great movie. Definitely love that last part where she got to see um, all the people that were supporting her. I, I, I low-key wish that all of this would have happened in this day and age. I would love to see how this, how that would play out in the media now and like how much girls would stand over her. Um, you know what I mean? They would have like free Lorena t-shirts and everything like that. Like I, I, I feel so bad that, you know, she felt so isolated at that time, but I'm really happy of course with the outcome. And I thought this was a great movie, like overall. I did. I did, too. You know, typically I don't always love these sort of like mashup movies, especially like I I don't like like reenactments in my crime show. But I and I didn't love the Elizabeth Smart movie, but I found her to be so um, easy to sympathize with. It's just is like so difficult to look at this woman who went through this. And you're totally right. I mean, nothing like this would ever happen now. I mean, it's. It's it just it wouldn't happen the same way because it's too common. I would like to think that women everywhere would stand up for her again in something like this. In fact, I think a lot of us would love to see it. I think a lot of us would, you know, hope a lot of women are never in that position. But feel free to cut a dick off, you know, please. By all by all means, you have all my permission. I mean, for what that's worth. Okay, so before we wrap up, I want to know, do you have anything you want to plug anywhere you want to send people? We will definitely put all your information in the description of the podcast. But um, if I know that, you know, I know comedy clubs are probably closed, so you don't have any like gigs lined up. But is there anything in particular you want to send people to? Well, you know, actually, it's crazy because this is Atlanta. So comedy clubs are open here. Um, me and my, uh, me and my group, we're called whole squad funny. We have a show at the, uh, Atlanta, um, at uptown comedy corner on the third Thursday of every, uh, month. And it's me and three other women comedians and we do our thing. So, you know, put on your mask and bring your ass. Oh my God. Good. Cause I think that this might come out in, in enough time that like, it'll be the Sunday before the third Thursday of the month. So hopefully some oh. nacho experts will come out. Yo, if you're a nacho expert, I'd love to see you. I want to meet you, baby. Yes, you deserve all the praise. You are just wonderful. I'm so glad that this worked out because, you know, I'm happy to to uh, fulfill a Christmas wish, but it turns out it was a present for me. I couldn't be more happy with you. I'm so you're, <laughs> you're fucking hilarious. This was so much fun. And I would love if you would come back sometime. This was just yeah, you're great. I appreciate Thank you. Thank you. I had so much fun. I really do appreciate you having me. And of course, I I, I love the pod and I'd love to do it again. Maybe next time we can. I'll pick some a little more upbeat, though. Okay. All right. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Have a great one. Bye.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.